This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. And today is the 13th of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah. And then this is therefore the 13th session of the reading and the commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalim by Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And inshallah ta'ala we begin with the recitation of Surah al-Hijr which is at the beginning of the 14th juz of the Qur'an. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulil ameen, nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma khfirli shaykhina wa liwalidina wa li jami'al muslimin. Amma ba'd. Qal al-musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala fi tafsiri surat al-hijr. A'udhu bil... This surah is Meccan and has 99 ayat. So this is the 15th surah of the Qur'an, surat al-hijr. And as you can see, uh, at least in this translation that we have in front of us, that the translators haven't given a translation for the meaning of the word Al-Hijr. And we will come to this later on because the surah is named after the people of the Hijr and we will speak about them inshallah ta'ala when we come to the appropriate verse. And so because it's named after a people or an area, then therefore the author or the translator rather has chosen not to give a translation. The surah is a Makki surah as the Suti rahimahullah ta'ala mentions and that is by Ijma' of the Mufassirin, the scholars of Tafsir, all of them agree, Ibn Kathir, Al-Qurtub, Ibn Atiyah, all of them say that this is a Meccan surah and I didn't come across any exception to any of its verses, meaning that it's not like the other verses that we said or the other <coughs> surahs where sometimes it's Makki but a few verses may be Madani. This is a surah that is from the Meccan revelation and it is, as he says, 99 verses. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام را الله knows best what these letters mean تلك آيات الكتاب وقرآن مبين those ayat are the signs of the book meaning the Quran the genitive structure here gives the meaning of from and a clear Quran which distinguishes what is true from what is false Allah Azzawajal begins by mentioning the book before the Qur'an. And in Surah Al-Naman, Allah Azzawajal will do the opposite. Tilka ayatun Qur'ani wa kitabin mubin. These are the signs of, or the verses of, the Qur'an and the clear book. رُبَمَا يَوَدُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَوْ كَانُوا مُسْلِمِينَ It may be, read as رُبَمَا and رُبَّمَا it may be that those who disbelieve will wish that they had been Muslims on the day of rising, when they see the difference between their state and that of the Muslims. The terrors will stupefy them so that the occasions on which they are able to wish for that are limited to a few. In verse number two, the author Ta'ala gives the two different recitations, Rubbama, which is the reading of the majority, and then Rubbama, which is the reading of, of some of the uh, Qur'an, such as Nafi and Abu Ja'far and others. And Rubbama and Rubbama both mean perhaps or it may be, perhaps, perhaps those who disbelieve will wish they had become Muslims. And the difference between the two recitations is Rubama, without the Shadda, is sometimes they wish. And Rubama is that they will always wish. And Allah knows best, but it may be that Rubama, with the lighter mode or the lighter one, without the Shadda, 
is referring to the situation in the dunya that some of those disbelievers at times wish that they would have become Muslim, wanted to accept Islam, but then because of pressure from society, from family, from whatever it may be, that warded them off from accepting the religion of Allah. But on Yawmul Qiyamah, all of them will wish. And they will have no doubt that had we accepted Islam, we would be saved from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ذَرْهُمْ يَأْكُلُوا وَيَتَمَتَّعُوا وَيُلْهِهِمُ الْأَمَلِ Leave them, meaning the unbelievers, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to eat and enjoy themselves in this world. That false hope of a long life and other things divert them from faith. فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ They will soon know the end result of their affair. This was before the command to fight. In verse number 3, Allah Azzawajal tells us therefore that the purpose of life is not to eat and drink and to have simple hopes and wishes of living. Because the animals eat and drink and they have a sedentary lifestyle. And Allah Azzawajal is saying concerning those people who turn away from Allah who in other verses as we mentioned before in a surah that we've already taken, Allah Azzawajal likens the disbelievers to cattle and to animals. He says, Ignore them, leave them, let them eat and drink. Showing therefore that the purpose of the Muslim is far nobler in this life and far greater. And that is the purpose of worshipping Allah Azzawajal alone as is mentioned in a number of verses in the Qur'an and from the most famous of them or the most well-known of them وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُضُونَ I only created the humans and jinn to worship me alone. وَمَا أَهْلَكْنَا مِنْ قَرْيَةٍ إِلَّا وَلَهَا كِتَابٌ مَعْلُومٌ We did not destroy the inhabitants of any city without it having a set time for its destruction. مَا تَسْبِقُ مِنْ أُمَّةٍ أَجَلَهَا وَمَا يَسْتَأْخِرُونَ no nation can advance its appointed time, nor can they delay it. وَقَالُوا يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينُ الزِّنَ عَلَيْهِ الذِّكْرُ إِنَّكَ لَمَجْنُونَ They, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, say to the Prophet ﷺ, you to whom the reminder, meaning the Qur'an, has been sent down, according to your claim, are clearly mad. In verse number 6, there is a, a beautiful point that is made by some of the scholars, and that is the how Allah Azzawajal has preserved in the Qur'an the statement of the disbelievers concerning the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, that it's bad enough that the Quraysh used to call him crazy and mad and a sorcerer and a soothsayer and a fortune teller. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves that in the Qur'an that now it's not only being said by them, but it's being recited by the Muslims and by the Prophet ﷺ himself. And that is a testament firstly to the character of the Prophet ﷺ and his patience, then he could withstand that type of barrage from them and then also reading himself what they used to say concerning him. But from the greatest of those benefits is the, the uh, etiquettes or the principle by which Allah Azza tells him how to respond, which is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran and that is one of being patient, that is one of making sajda, that is one of glorifying and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَوْ مَا تَأْتِينَا بِالْمَلَائِكَةِ إِن كُنْتَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ Why do you not bring angels to us if you're telling the truth and if this Qur'an is truly from Allah? مَا نُنَزِّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ Allah says the angels only descend with the truth read as مَا تُنَزَّلُ أَمَا تَنَزَّلُ Meaning the punishment وَمَا كَانُوا إِذَا مُنْظَرِينَ And then they would be granted no reprieve when the angels bring it down. What the author mentioned in the Qira'at is the two other Qira'at in addition to our one. We read it as Ma Tunazilu. And he mentions the other ones, Tunazilu and Tanazilu. And those are the other two in addition to the one that we read.
It is we, in the words inna nahnu, the pronoun nahnu, we, is repeated for stress or for separation. It is we who have sent down the reminder, meaning the Quran, and we who will preserve it from alteration, distortion, additions, or deletions. We sent messengers before you among the disparate groups of previous peoples. In verse number 9, when the author Taala says, Inna nahnu is repeated for stress because the pronoun inna with the noon at the end and the alif in itself shows and implies we. That's what the pronoun is for with the alif at the end, inna, we. But then Allah says nahnu again, which also means we, meaning so he stresses it twice to show that the Quran is from Allah and that the Quran will be preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of its recitation, its memorization, its warnings. It is something which from generation to generation is something which the people will know and memorize and that is why the Muslims unite upon the Quran. No messenger came to them without their mocking him. Meaning previous peoples mock their messengers in the same way that your people mock you. This is to give solace to the Prophet ﷺ. In that way we insert it, meaning denial, into the evildoers' hearts, referring to the unbelievers of the people of Mecca. That is one tafsir in verse 12. In that way we insert it, meaning denial. And the other one is that in that way we insert it, meaning their mockery. The mockery of the Prophet That is also a tafsir. They do not believe in him, meaning the Prophet or possibly it, referring to the Quran. Even though the example of the previous peoples has gone before, a reference to their punishment for denying their prophets. These people are like them. And in verse number 13, as we mentioned before, his tafsir of they do not believe in him is not a contradictory tafsir that it refers to the Prophet or that it refers to the Qur'an, they compliment one another because if they reject the Qur'an, they by extension reject the Prophet and if they reject the Prophet then by extension they must reject the Qur'an and so as we mentioned I think a number of times before one of the ways that the Salaf used to do tafsir as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions in his Muqaddimah and others that it is by way of example so they're choosing an example to give the tafsir of and it's not exclusive to that example but it is just by way of example. And so therefore actually these different opinions complement one another and they do not contradict one another. Even if we opened up to them a door into heaven and they spent the day ascending through it, meaning the door, they would only say our eyesight is befuddled, meaning blocked. بَلْ نَحْنُ قَوْمٌ مَسْحُونَ Or rather, we've been put under a spell. Meaning, this is just an illusion. وَلَقَدْ جَعَلْنَا فِي السَّمَاءِ لِلنَّاظِرِينَ We have placed constellations in heaven and made them beautiful for those who look. They are twelve. Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius and Pisces. They are the stations of the seven moving planets. Mercury, which has Aries and Scorpio. Venus, which has Taurus and Libra. Saturn, which has Gemini and Virgo. The Moon, which has Cancer. The Sun, which has Leo. Jupiter, which has Sagittarius and Pisces. And Saturn, which has Capricorn and Aquarius. In verse 16, as you can see, the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, has taken the position that the Buruj, that Allah Azza wa is referring to in the heavens, 
and the buruj or literal meaning of the word buruj is something which is visible, something which is big and visible. And so he has taken the tafsir, as you can also see in the translation, that is referring to the constellations. And that is one position amongst the scholars of tafsir. And another position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that it refers to the kawakib, it refers to generally the stars. Another said it refers to all celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars. And others from amongst them said it refers to hidden towers in the, in the skies that Allah has made invisible. But that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed it in order to protect the heavens from the shayateen, from the devils, and so on and so forth. And all of those positions are mentioned in the books of tafsir and there are scholars who held them. <coughs> Shaykh al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah, Muhammad al-Ameen, he said, and what I consider to be the correct opinion, is that all of them are true. All of them come back to the same essential meaning that Allah Azza wa is telling us to look at his signs in the heavens. So whether we say that it is the sun or the moon or the stars or the constellations, whatever it may be, all of them are being referred to because Allah Azza wa is telling us to see the signs of the heavens that point to his lordship and his, his right to be worshipped subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَحَفِظْنَاهَا مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ We have guarded them with meteors from every cursed shaytan. إِلَّا مَنِ اسْتَرَقَ السَّمْعَ فَأَتْبَعَهُ شِهَابٌ مُّبِينٌ Except for the one who left listens stealthily by eavesdropping, and he is followed by an open flame, meaning a shooting star which burns him or pierces him or confuses him. And this, what Allah Azza mentions, that from the benefits of these stars in the skies, is that they act as a preservation, as to protect the heavens. And this is mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. The Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala issues a command, the angels beat their wings in humiliation and acceptance of the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then they say, and this will come in a different verse in, in the Qur'an, قَالُوا مَاذَا قَالَ رَبُّكُمْ They will say, what did your Lord say? قَالُوا الْحَقِّ They said, he said the truth. وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْكَبِيرُ And he is the one who is most high most great. And then that news comes down in the heavens. And as it is coming down, that is when the shayateen come, the devils, and they try to steal. As Allah says, إِلَّا مَنِ اسْتَرَقَ comes from the word saraqa, not to listen, but to steal. To steal the news of the heavens. They steal what they can take, meaning the tidbits of information that they can take. The Prophet said, and that is when the shooting star is thrown at them. It is shot at them in order to remove those devils. That devil takes that news that it takes, that one piece of information, they come down and they relay it to the soothsayers, the fortune tellers, the magicians, the people that they work with. And the Prophet said, they take that one truth and they mix it with 99 lies. So when a person goes to them and out of the many things they say, one of it happens to be true, they're impressed and they think that these are people who therefore must know the knowledge of the unseen. And it is that one piece of information that they took that is correct. And the vast majority of what they say is false, and it is incorrect, and it is lies and fabrications. As for the earth, we stretched it out and cast firmly embedded mountains in it, so that it does not move under its inhabitants. And made everything grow in due, in due proportion on it by a known amount. And this is a surah, as you can see, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is 
establishing his signs, the signs that show that he should be worshipped alone subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so it will speak about the signs of the heavens and the earth before it goes into a number of the stories of the prophets. And we put livelihoods, meaning fruits and grains, in it both for you and for those who do not provide for, referring to slaves and animals and livestock. Allah provides for them. There's nothing that does not have the keys to its doors with us. And we only send it down in a known measure. It is all distributed according to the best interests of its recipients. وأرسلنا الرياح لواقح فأنزلنا من السماء ماء فأسقيناكم We send forth the pollinating winds and they also make the clouds fill up with water and send down water from the sky from the clouds and give it to you to drink وما أنتم له بخازنين And it is not you, you keep its stores and you are not in control of them وَإِنَّا لَنَحْنُ نُحْيِي وَنُمِيتُ وَنَحْنُ الْوَارِثُونَ It is we who give life and cause to die, and we are the inheritor, meaning we will remain and all creation will return to us. We know those of you who have gone ahead, meaning all the creatures who have already appeared from the time of Adam, and those who are still to come up until the day of rising. It is your Lord who will gather them. He is all wise in what he does, all knowing of his creation. We created mankind, meaning Adam, out of dried clay, from which a rattling sound could be heard when it was hollowed out, formed from fetid black mud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 26 onwards now goes into the story of Adam alayhi salatu And as we've already mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah and then again in Surah Al-A'raf, this is the story of the beginning of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah azza wa jal mentions, or the beginning of the creation of man rather. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here mentions how he was created. And Adam alayhi salam went through a number of stages of being created. The first of them is that it was water that was mixed with dust, with, with, with the dirt of the ground. And that is why Allah Azza wa says elsewhere in the Quran, وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ We created every living thing from water. That was mixed with the dirt of the ground. And we mentioned the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that Allah Azza wa took a handful of dust from all of the earth. And that is what he created Adam with. And that's why from his children are those who are red and those who are black and those who are white. And from them are those who are easy going and those who are hard going. And from them are those that are pure and those that are not so pure because of the different natures of the soils of the earth and the different properties. And Allah Azza wa then after creating him and fashioning him, he left him to dry. And that is what Allah Azza wa is saying, out of dry clay that was hollow. Meaning that if you struck it, it would make a hollow sound from it. And that is as that creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was left to be baked and to be dried. And that is the meaning of dried clay from a black mud because that is the color of the mud once it was mixed with the water. We created the jinn before, the creation of Adam, out of the fire of a searing wind. A fire which has no smoke which that through the pores. And so Allah says, and as for the jinn, Iblis and the jinn, they are created from a smokeless fire. 
And as we know, that is the reason why Iblis refuses to prostrate before Adam alayhi salatu wasalam. And the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Allah created the angels from light and the jinn from a smokeless fire. And Adam, from what has been mentioned to you, meaning in the Quran, meaning from dried clay and mud. وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي خَالِقٌ بَشَرًا مِّن صَلْصَالٍ مِّنْ حَمَئٍ مَّسْنُونٍ Remember when your Lord said to the angels, I am creating a human being out of dried clay formed from fetid black mud. And in these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to mention the creation of Adam, the reason or the, the, the material from which he was created, as opposed to elsewhere in the Quran, where he says that I have created a human, prostrate to him. And Allah Azza here says, He created Adam from this type of dried clay. Then He told the angels to prostrate to the one that He, that he created from dried clay. And then Iblis later on will say, Why should I prostrate to the one that He created from dried clay? Because the reason for His refusal is the origin of a person, His lineage, His, his origin. Showing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't look at those issues. Allah Azza doesn't judge people concerning their origins and where they come from or what they're made from. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at, as we know, is their faith and their taqwa. فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ When I have formed him and perfected him and breathed my ruh into him, meaning cause my ruh, meaning spirit, to flow into him so that he becomes alive, fall down in prostration in front of him, to honor him. Prostration was a greeting which took the form of bowing. فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ Then the angels prostrated all together, every one of them. إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ أَبَى أَنْ يَكُونَ مَعَ السَّاجِدِينَ Except Iblis. Iblis was the father of the jinn. He was with the angels. He disdained to be one of the prostrators. قَالَ يَا إِبْلِيسُ مَا لَكَ أَلَّا تَكُونَ مَعَ السَّاجِدِينَ He, meaning Allah, says, Iblis, what is it that prevents you being among the prostrators? He said, I will not prostrate to a human being, meaning it is not appropriate for me to do such a thing, whom you have created out of dried clay formed from fetid black mud. And Allah Azza mentions this story again because the basis of every type of shirk is a form of arrogance. People who refuse to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone or acknowledge Allah's existence, it comes in some way, shape or form from some type of arrogance. As Iblis is saying, it's not befitting for me, even though it is Allah who created him and Allah is his Lord and Allah is his master, for now he has audacity to say to Allah, it's not befitting for me that I should do what you're asking me to do. He said, get out from here, meaning out of the garden or the heavens, you are accursed, ousted. The curse will be on you until the day of reckoning, meaning repayment. He said, my Lord, grant me a reprieve until the day, they, meaning mankind, are raised again. He said, you are among the reprieved. Until the day whose time is known. That is the time of the first blast of the trumpet. He said, My Lord, because you misled me, I will make things on the earth, meaning acts of disobedience, seem good to them, and I will mislead them all, every one of them. Except your slaves among them who are sincere, meaning the believers.
in verse 39, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the statement of Iblis. And you can see the difference between Iblis's approach and the way that he speaks to Allah and the approach of the Prophet as we mentioned towards the end of Surah Yusuf. Iblis here is saying, Bima agwaitani, Rabbi bima agwaitani, my Lord, because you misled me. It's your fault, you're the one who ordained it, you're the one who decreed it for me. And so he attributes his evil, his refusal, his arrogance, his disbelief, his, his uh, disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, attributes it all to Allah azza wa jal. Which is a marked difference from the prophets and their approach, that even in their times of calamity and difficulty and trial, when it comes to speaking to Allah or making dua to Allah, they don't mention the evil that took place to them and ascribe it to Allah, even though it is Allah who decreed it. But they only mention what is good and befitting and worthy of being mentioned in, by, with Allah Azzawajal's name. And they attribute everything else to shaitan. And that is the different approach between the person who believes in Allah and has that iman and trusts in Allah and his decree. And that's why for the believer, even things that are difficult are good for them. As the Prophet said, إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ خَيْرٌ There is always good for the believer in all of their affairs. He, meaning Allah, said, This is a straight path to me. You have no authority over any of my slaves, meaning the believers, except for the misled, meaning the unbelievers who follow you. In verse 42, so then why would you want to have the alliance of someone who is weak? When Allah says, Those who follow my path, no one has any power over them. No one can do harm to them. No one has any authority over them to misguide them or harm them because they are under the divine care and protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, hell is a promised meeting place for all of them. It has seven gates, meaning layers. And each gate has its allotted share. And the word Bab in verse 44 is a gate. That is its apparent meaning that Jahannam and the fire of hell has gates, gates through which people will enter. And as we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah At-Tawbah, in the verse speaking about the Prophet seeking forgiveness for the hypocrite 70 times, that the number 7, according to a number of scholars of the Arabic language, is a number that denotes a great deal of number. And as we know from the authentic hadith of the Prophet that the vast majority of people, as Allah also mentions in the Quran, will go into hellfire. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, on the day that Allah will resurrect people, Allah will call our father Adam, Alayhi Salam, and Adam will say, Labbayka wa Sa'di, here I am, O Lord, responding to you. And Allah will say to him, Ya Adam, akhrij ba'than nar. O Adam, take from your children the portion of the fire, take them out. And he will say, Wama ba'than nar. And O Allah, what is the portion of the fire? And then Allah Azza wa will say, From every thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine. Every thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine. The Prophet said, That is the day, as Allah mentioned at the beginning of Surah Al Hajj, that the woman will miscarry and the breastfeeding woman will abandon her child and the child will look old in age and the people will seem like they are drunk, but they are not drunk. But Allah's punishment is severe. And that is because the vast majority of them will go to the fire of hell. And that is a hadith, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to the beginning of Surah. Al-Hajj we will mention and there is in it good news for the Ummah and the Prophet Sallallahu and those who follow the path of Allah. So Jahannam has seven gates because the majority of people go through it. And then the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned in the authentic hadith as for Jannah it has eight gates. In the famous hadith a gate for the people of prayer, a gate called Ar-Riyan for the people of fasting, a gate for the people of charity and so on. 
And then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in one narration asks, O Messenger of Allah, will anyone be invited to enter through all of the eight gates? And he said, Yes. I hope that you are from amongst them. So the scholars said that it was given an extra gate, eight, because it won't have that many people entering, unlike the seven for Jahannam. And Allah knows best. Those who are God-fearing will be amid gardens and running springs. It will be said to them, Enter them in peace, safe from every fearful thing, in complete security, safe from every anxiety. We will strip away any rancor in their hearts. Brothers, resting on couches face to face. No one looks at anyone else's back because the catches are arranged in a circle. In verse 47, we already mentioned in the previous verse uh, when we spoke about this issue of Allah removing the hatred from the believers. The hadith of Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari that the Prophet said that after they, the believers traverse the bridge over Jahannam, Allah will cause them to stop at a place called the Qantara. And that is where the disputes amongst the believers will be settled and their wrongs will be righted until they have been purified. And all of the evil in their heart or all of the bad and ill feelings that they possess in their heart is removed from them. Then they will enter into Jannah. Because the people of Jannah do not enter into Jannah except in the best and purest of states. And from that purity is that they hold no ill feelings, no problem for anyone else. So that the enjoyment of Jannah can be complete. Because if a person has all of the blessings but in their heart, they dislike someone in the heart. If they see someone else, they feel ill towards them. They don't have a complete and perfect blessing. So from the perfection of Jannah is that they have no feeling or emotion except that which is good. They will not be affected by any tiredness there and they will never be made to leave. Tell my slaves, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that I am the ever-forgiving to the believers and most merciful to them. But also that my punishment of the disobedient is the painful punishment. And tell them about the guests of Ibrahim, meaning angels, who are 12, 10 or 3 in number, one of whom was Jibreel. And we already mentioned this story in Surah Hud of the angels that came to visit the Prophet Ibrahim when they came into him, they said, Peace. He, meaning Ibrahim, said, When he offered them food, but they did not eat it, which caused him to be alarmed, Truly, we are afraid of you. And the difference here between this surah and surah Hud is in surah Hud, Allah says, He said, Salam to them, they replied with the Salam. Here, Allah is saying, He said, Salam to them, or they said, Salam, and He said, I'm afraid of you. And both of those things happened. He said salam and they replied to the salam. Or they said salam and he replied to the salam. And then when they stopped eating, he, or he does, they refused to eat, he says that I am afraid of you. And so Allah mentions parts of the story as we have said before previously in certain surahs and other parts in other surahs. And so the best way of doing tafsir is to bring those different parts of the Quran together and make them together as a whole story. They said, do not be afraid. We are the messengers of your Lord. 
We bring you the good news of a boy with great knowledge. This was Ishaq, as mentioned in Surah Hud. And this is something which you already mentioned as well, that this story of the guests of Ibrahim salam refers to the Prophet Ishaq salam. That is the glad tidings that he's been given. And in Surah Hud, Allah Azza wa says, فَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ وَمِنْ وَرَائِي إِسْحَاقَ يَعْقُوبِ We gave them the good, good news of Ishaq, and after Ishaq, Ya'qub. And we said then, that is why the scholars say that it is not Ismail. And that Ismail is the one who was the one that Ibrahim attempted to sacrifice another Ishaq. He asked, do you bring me this good news of a child despite old age having reached me? What kind of good news are you bringing me? The question is one of wonder. They said, we bring you good news of the truth, so do not be among those who despair. He said, who despairs, and as and of the mercy of his Lord, except for misguided people, meaning unbelievers. He added, what is your business, messengers? They said, we have been sent to a people who are evildoers, meaning unbelievers, referring to the people of Lot, in order to destroy them. Except the family of Lot, all of whom we will save because of their belief. Except for his wife. We have decreed her to be one of those who stay behind, to suffer the punishment because of her disbelief. In verse 59, Allah Azza wa says, Illa ala Lut, except for, as the translation is here, the family of Lot. And the word al in the Arabic language can mean family, but it can mean people, a nation. And that is what is being referred to here. Allah says, We are going to follow, we are going to be sent to a people who are evildoers. They will all be destroyed except for the people who follow Lot, not just his family, because not all of his family are believers, but it can also mean followers, and that is a position chosen by Imam Al-Qurtubi and Al-Baghawi and others. And that is what Allah Azza wa says concerning the people of Pharaoh in the Quran, وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ أَدْخِلُوا آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ أَشَدَّ الْعَذَابِ And on the day of the hour is established, the people of Pharaoh, and he uses the word آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ, not just the family, the people of Pharaoh will have the severest of punishments, and Allah Azza wa knows best. When the messengers came to the family of Lut, he said to them, Your people we do not know. They said, We have come to you with what they, meaning your people, had doubts about, a reference to the punishment. We have brought you the truth. And we are certainly truthful men in what we say. Travel with your family in the dead of night, following behind, meaning walking behind them, with them in front of you. None of you must look back in order not to see the terrible fate which will befall them. Go where you are ordered to. They were ordered to go to Syria. In verse 65, Allah Azza wa adds an addition here that isn't found elsewhere in the Quran in the context of this story. In Surah Hud, the same thing is mentioned that they were told to travel in the middle of the night. And it is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran. But in Surah Al-Hijr, Allah Azza wa says, 
adbarahum following behind them meaning you O Lord stay at the rear of your people you be at the back and follow them and some of the scholars mentioned that the reason for that is so that he could keep an eye on them look over them, protect them make sure that they remain within his vision and that is from the etiquette of whether it's a parent who you know as they travel with their children their children they always keep them in, in their eyesight make sure that they can keep an eye on them or it is a general etiquette of leadership that you understand where people are in your, under your authority and under your leadership and you place them in their appropriate positions and you pay attention to them. He says, Go where you're ordered to, they were ordered to go to Syria and we mentioned before that the word Asham is a much more extensive region than modern day Syria but includes the whole of that area of the Levant. وقضينا إليه ذلك الأمر أن دابر هؤلاء مقطوع مصبحين. We revealed to him the command we had decreed that on the following morning the last remnant of those people would be cut off and eradicated. وجاء أهل المدينة يستبشرون. The inhabitants of the city of Sodom, meaning the people of Lot, came exulting at the news when they heard that Lot had handsome, beardless young men in his house. They were angels. The people desired to engage in disgusting actions with them. قال إن هؤلاء ضيفي فلا تفضحون. He, meaning Lord, said, These are my guests, so do not put me to shame. واتقوا الله ولا تخزون. Be fearful of Allah and do not dishonor me by perpetrating the disgusting actions you intend to do with them. قالوا أولم ننهك عن العالمين. They said, Did we not forbid you to play host to anyone at all? قال هؤلاء بناتي إن كنتم فاعلين. He said, Here are my daughters, if you are determined to do something. Meaning, if you desire to satisfy your lust, then marry them. Then Allah says, In verse 31, as we mentioned before in Surah Hud, قال هؤلاء بناتي, these are my daughters, doesn't mean his actual daughters, but the daughters of, meaning the women of the town, because a father is like a prophet to the women of his city. لعمرك by your life this is addressed to the Prophet they were wandering back and forth blindly in their drunkenness in verse 72 Allah takes an oath by the life of the Prophet and nowhere else in the Quran does Allah take an oath by the life of anyone else not a Prophet or anyone else this is the only occasion and it is by the life of the Prophet Ibn al-Arabi Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the famous Maliki scholar, the author of Ahkam al-Quran, he said by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir, that the one who has been taken an oath by here is our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. La'amruk. Allah is taking an oath by him to show the heinous nature of the crime that was being committed and the evil of those people. So the great blast, meaning the shout of Jibreel, sees hold of them at the break of day, meaning sunrise. We turned the place, meaning their cities, completely upside down. Jibreel lifted them to heaven and turned them over and dropped them back to the earth. And rained down on them stones of hard baked clay. There are certainly signs in that, meaning which has been mentioned regarding the oneness of Allah for the discerning, meaning those who look and reflect. وَإِنَّهَا لَبِسَبِيلٍ مُقِيمٍ They, meaning the cities of the people of Luth, were beside a road which still exists. The road that Quraysh took to Syria. The ruins still existed, so why do you not consider them? 
إن في ذلك لآية للمؤمنين. It is certainly a sign, meaning a lesson in that for the believers. ولقد كذب أصحاب الحجر وإن كان أصحاب الأيكة لظالمين. The people of the thicket, a reference to a thicket of trees close to Median. They were the people of Shaib. Were also wrongdoers in denying the prophethood of Shaib. In verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to these people as Ashabul Aika, the people of the thicket. And previously in Surah Al A'raf and in Surah Hud, Allah Azza wa Jalla has referred to the people of Shu'ib as the people of Madian. To Madian we sent the, their brother Shu'ib. And the scholars here uh, have two points of discussion. Number one is the meaning of the word Aika. Aka, which means a thicket or means a, 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 an area that is full of trees. As Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala mentions, that is one opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir that is referring to the area because it was a place of greenery and a place of many trees. And so it became known as the area that is Aka. Another said it is the name of the village. So Madian is the name of the tribe and Aka is the name of the area. It's the name of the village or the city. That is the meaning of Aka. Another said, as Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, that they're known as the people of the Aka because they were people who used to worship some of those trees besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because of that, they are known as the people of the Aka. And that is why Allah in, this, uh, in, 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 in one of the surahs, when Allah refers to them as the people of the Aka in Surah Al-Shu'ara, I believe, Allah doesn't say that, that Shu'ib is their brother. He says, إِذْقَالَ لَهُمْ شُعِيبٌ and we'll come on to that inshallah ta'ala at the appropriate time. The second point of discussion here is some of the scholars say that Madian and Aika are not the same. Madian, the Shu'ib was sent to two people, two nations, two groups of people. One was Madian, and that's where he was from, and then a place that was closer to them, that was called Aika, another town, and he was sent to both of them. But the position of, and I think Ibn Ashur in his tafsir supported that position. But the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir is that they are one and the same. The Aika and the Madian are one and the same, but Allah refers to them in two different ways. Number one, as the tribe of the people, and number two, that which they used to worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We took revenge on them as well by destroying them with intense heat. They are both beside a well-worn track, meaning the cities of these people are on well-known routes. So, you, will you not reflect on them, people of Mecca? The people of Al-Hijr denied the messengers. Al-Hijr is a river valley between Medina and Syria, and is another name for the tribe of Thamud. They denied Salih, and by doing so, denied the rest of Allah's messengers, because they all bring the message of Allah's oneness. In verse 80, Allah mentions Ashab al-Hijr, after whom the surah is named. The people of the Hijr, which is another name as the author Ta'ala mentions for the tribe of Thamud, which is the nation of Salih And the scholars differ as to why these people were called Ashab al-Hijr. So Thamud is the name of the tribe, name of the tribe. And Al-Hijr is the name of the area. Why was it called Al-Hijr? One of the reasons amongst the scholars of Tafsir is because it was a place that was far-fetched. And the word hajar or mahjur means abandoned. When you make hajar of someone, it can mean abandoned. So these people were far away. And so they were known as the people of hajar. Another name or another reason that is given is because of 
the buildings that they built into the sides of the mountains, that they were people who understood how to work with hijara, with rocks and stones. So they were called al-hijr. And another meaning that some scholars said is al-hijr can also mean to preserve, to protect. And because as we said before in the tafsir of al-Araf and Hud, that they were people who had very little water. And so they would preserve that water by building around it wounds and so on to keep that water enclosed. And so they became known as the people of al-Hijr. Either way, this is what they were known by. And previously I mentioned um, in, I believe in the tafsir of Surah Araf and Surah Hud, that that area of the people of Salih still exists and is called Madain Salih. And I heard since then, in, in, in just further research and reading, that the area's name actually is Al-Hijr. And that is why Allah Azza wa refers to it. And Madain Salih is the name that people then took on later on and said that it's actually not the area of Salih but an area that was close to it, that people used to also live in, and that became famous as Madain Salih, and the name just stuck. But actually the name that Allah Azza wa gives to that area in the Qur'an is not Madain Salih, but it is Al-Hijr, the area that is called Al-Hijr. And that was what was known in the early generations of the Muslims. And that is what Asiyyatul says, it is a river and a valley between Medina and between Asham. And again, Syria meaning here, Asham. We brought them our signs, specifically the sheep camel. But they turned away from them and did not reflect. They carved out houses from the mountains, feeling safe. But the great blast seized hold of them in the morning. So all that they earned was of no use to them, incapable of defending them from the punishment, neither their fortresses nor all their wealth. وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ We did not create the heavens and earth and everything between them except with truth. وَإِنَّ السَّاعَةَ لَآتِيَةِ The hour is certainly coming, meaning the time when everyone will be repaid for their actions cannot be avoided. فَاصْفَحِ الصَّفْحَ الْجَمِيلِ So Muhammad wasallam turn away from your people graciously and do not be grieved by them. This was abrogated by the ayah of the sword. In verse 85, it is an important principle of tafsir to understand when uh, pronouns are being used or when these asma'ul ishara, this and that is being used as to what is being referred to. And sometimes the translation can be somewhat confusing because the, the translation is this was abrogated by the eye of the sword. What is this? What is what's being referred to? Allah says, we do not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them except the truth. Is that what is, what's abrogated? The hour is certainly coming. Is that what's abrogated? Clearly not. So what is referring to is the last part, that the abrogation falls at the end of the verse. Turn away from them graciously, meaning the, the disbelievers, the Quraysh, turn away from them, ignore them. He's saying it is abrogated by the ayah of the sword, meaning when the Prophet is told not to stay away from them, not to fight them and to defeat them. And that is the position that Rasulullah rahmanullah as we can see in his tafsir often, takes the position of nasq and abrogation. When he thinks that there is a contradiction, he often goes to an This is a very long chapter and discussion amongst the scholars of tafsir of how to do abrogation, and not only in tafsir, but in usul al-fiqh and other sciences as well. But the position of other scholars amongst them, al-Qurtubi and al-Shirqiti, Muhammad al-Abin, alayhim wa rahmatullah, and others, is that it's not abrogating, but that these are etiquettes that continue. That you should be gracious and you should be kind and you should be gentle and there are times when you look the other way and so on and so it's not abrogated and the general principle amongst the scholars of tafsir is 
that when there is no need for abrogation, then verses are not abrogated. Because also in the Quran is that the verses of the Quran are not abrogated, except for those that are clearly known, like the verses of uh, alcohol. We clearly understand those earlier verses are being abrogated and some of the verses of inheritance and so on. That's very clear. But where it's not so clear, and it's possible that both meanings are correct, the verse of fighting and the verse of not fighting, then both should be considered to be verses that their rulings are still applicable. Your Lord is the creator of everything, the all-knowing of everything. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبَعًا مِّنَ الْمَثَانِي وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ We have given you the seven oft-repeated. The Prophet ﷺ said that this refers to the Fatiha. Al-Bukhari and Muslim related this. So-called because it is recited twice in every pair of rak'ahs. And the, magnific- and the magnificent Qur'an. In this verse 87, we mentioned way back when we started this tafsir in Surah Al-Fatiha as an evidence to show that Al-Fatiha is a Makki Surah because Al-Hijr is a Makki Surah and Allah says that we gave to you the seven oft-repeated verses and as the author here mentions the Prophet said that the seven oft-repeated verses are Surah Al-Fatiha لا تمدن عينيك إلى ما متعنا به أزواجا منهم Do not direct your eyes longingly to what we have given certain categories of them to enjoy ولا تحزن عليهم do not feel sad concerning them if they do not believe. But take the believers under your wing, meaning protection. Say, I am indeed a clear warner of the punishment of Allah which will befall you, and I make the warning clear. Just as we sent down punishment on the dissectors, meaning the Jews and Christians. Those who divide the Qur'an into little pieces, meaning those who split the books revealed to them into parts, by believing in some of it and rejecting some of it. It is also said that what is meant by this are those who form groups on the roads of Mecca to prevent people from becoming Muslims. Some of them said that the Qur'an was magic, some that it was soothsaying, and some that it was poetry. And the correct position amongst scholars of tafsir for verse 91 is that this verse is general, includes everyone who divides the Qur'an, meaning that they take part of it and leave part of it, that they believe in some of it and disbelieve in other parts. So, by way of example, yes, those groups that are mentioned, but it is more general than this. By your Lord, we will question them all, to rebuke them, every one of them. About what they did. Proclaim, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what you have been ordered to, out loud and broadcast it, and turn away from the idolaters. This was before the command to fight jihad. And again, it's as if he's saying that that is abrogated, and we just mentioned this a short while ago. We are enough for you against the mockers, meaning we will prevent them from harming you by destroying them. Those referred to were Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, Al-As ibn Wa'il, Adi ibn Qais, Al-Aswad ibn Abdi Muttalib, and Al-Aswad ibn Abdu Yawud. Al-Ladheena yaj'aluna ma'allahi ilahan akhar. Those who set up another god beside Allah. Fasawfa ya'lamoon. They will soon know the end of their affair. Walaqad na'lamu annaka yadhiqu sadruka bima yaquluun. We know that your breast is constricted by what they say, meaning their mockery and denial. Fasabbih bihamdi rabbika wakum minas sajideen. 
So glorify your Lord with praise. Say, Subhanallah wa bihamdih, and be one of the prostrators in prayer. Wa'bud rabbaka hatta yatiyakal yaqeen. And worship your Lord until what is certain, meaning death, comes to you. In verse 97, Allah says, We know that what they say harms you, that it's something which makes your chest constricted. And that's what Allah was referring to at the beginning of the surah when He said, When they said, Oh, you, the one who has received revelation, you are crazy. Allah is saying now at the end, by giving the etiquette of the Prophet that we know that that's something which harms you, it's something which upsets you. So, what do you do? Glorify your Lord. Praise your Lord. Be from amongst those who prostrate to Allah. Continue to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. Which shows that these are some of the greatest ways of overcoming difficulty in life and, and stress and hardship. By turning to Allah Azza wa Jal and increasing in worship. And there is no doubt that that is a principle of the Quran. And that's not to dismiss modern science or other therapies that a person should take and other diagnoses. But there is clearly a part that the spiritual aspect has to play in this as well for those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's why the scholars of the past mentioned this there are times of difficulty they would turn to Allah and make this speech they would make tahmeed they would turn to Allah azza wa jal and from what is mentioned in that regard is the statement of Imam ibn Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala that he says that we when we would find things challenging and trials would come to us we would often go to our teacher Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullahu ta'ala and Ibn Taymiyyah would read to us from the verses of the Qur'an, the ayat as-sakina, the verses of tranquility. Meaning the verses in which Allah Azza wa Jalla says, فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ Allah tells us in the Qur'an in a number of instances that Allah caused his tranquility and peace to descend upon the believers. Ibn Qayyim says Ibn Taymiyyah would often read those verses to us and would find a great effect for them. Meaning that they would impact us greatly. And that's because they are people who are listening they are people who are reflecting, they are people who are connecting with the, work, with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when you read and study and memorize and use the Qur'an in that way then as Allah Azza wa tells us in the Qur'an it is a shifa and a cure. <coughs> Surah Al-Nahl, the B. This surah is Meccan except for the last three ayat which are Medinan. It has 128 ayat and was revealed after Surah Al-Kahf. This is the 16th surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Nahl, which is a Makki surah according to most of the scholars, Ibn Kathir and others, with the exception of some of these verses, as is mentioned by some of the scholars of, of Tafsir. It is a Meccan surah, and it is named after the bee, and that is because Allah will mention within the surah the issue of a bee, the story of the bee, or how the bee is from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the scholar said, because it is the only part or place in the Qur'an that Allah mentions the bee, it is therefore named after that insect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the bee. Another name that it is also known by, very well known by, is the Surah of Blessings, Surah Al-Ni'am. The Surah of Blessings, as mentioned by Ibn Atiyah and Ash-Shawkani, and from the early scholars who gave it this name or referred to this Surah by that name is Qatada. Rahimahullah Ta'ala, the student of the companions of Anas and others from amongst them, radiallahu anhum, that they would call this surah the surah of ni'am, the surah of blessings. And that is because that is the theme of this surah. It will discuss the many, many blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what we will do after every segment of blessings, 
it will mention how people are ungrateful, how people disbelieve, how people ignore and reject them. And then Allah Azza wa will mention another group or another segment of blessings, and then again how people disbelieve in them, and how people turn away and reject, and then another set of blessings, and so on and so forth. And because of that continuous mention of blessings, and the continuous ingratitude of people towards them, it is a, known, a, name, a surah that is often called the surah of ni'am, the surah of blessings. And some of the scholars of the past, in times like what we're in, where people are in a difficult situation, and people are struggling, and people are finding things hard, they would often read this surah and study it, because it is a reminder of the many, many blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us. Despite a difficult, the difficulties that we may face, that Allah Azza's blessings are many and great in number. When the idolaters thought that the punishment was taking a long time to come, Allah revealed this. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Allah's command, meaning the last hour, is coming. So do not try to hasten it. The past tense is used because it is definite that it will occur, so that in effect it has already happened. Do not seek it before its time. It will occur, and that is inevitable. Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. Glory be to him. He is exalted above anything they associate with him. يُنَزِّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ بِالرُّوحِ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ أَنْ أَنْذِرُوا أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاتَّقُونَ He sends down angels, including Jibreel, with the ruh, meaning revelation of his command, meaning by his will, to any of his slaves he wills, meaning the prophets. Give warning that there is no God but me. Alarm the unbelievers with news of the punishment and inform them of it. So, be fearful of me. The author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, in his commentary on the word ruh yunazzilu al-malaikata bil-ruhi min amri he sends down angels including Jibreel with the ruh and he says it is revelation so one of the meanings of the word ruh the ruh in the Quran can mean spirit and the ruh meaning the spirit in the body, the soul and it can mean in the Quran ruh as in one of the names of Jibreel that he is ruh al-Qudus and from the meanings of the word ruh in the Quran is revelation and from them is the verse of the Quran, this one, but also the verse of the Quran, And this we have given to you, revelation that has come from us. He created the heavens and the earth with truth. He is exalted above anything in terms of idols that associate with him. خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِن نُطَفَةٍ فَإِذَا هُوَ خَصِيمٌ مُّبِينٌ He created man from a drop of sperm, and then he becomes strong. And yet he is an open challenger and strong opponent, as is made clear when he denies the resurrection, saying, Who will bring the bones to life when they are decayed? And this is from the first of the uh, blessings of Allah that people reject. The first that they turn away from, that Allah created them from the smallest of drops, as we know from modern science. The smallest of drops and from the most uh, humblest of forms and beginnings. And then that person grows up and they reach adulthood and they argue and they debate as if they own the earth and everything upon it. And that is how they live their life. And Allah Azza wa says that they turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they openly challenge, denying Allah, denying the prophets, denying revelation, denying Yawmul Qiyamah. And the verse that he's referring to at the end of his commentary is the verse at the end of Surah Yasin. قَالَ مِنْ يُحْيِي الْعِظَامَةِ and he created livestock, meaning camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. There is 
there is warmth for you, meaning all mankind, in them, in the garments and cloaks you make from their hair and wool, which you use to keep yourselves warm, and various uses, such as increase of wealth through their offspring, and for their milk, and for riding and haulage, and some you eat. وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا جَمَالٌ حِينَ تُرِيحُونَ وَحِينَ تَسْرَحُونَ And there is beauty in them for you, in the evening when you bring them home to their night shelters, and in the morning when you drive them out to their pastures to graze. وَتَحْمِلُ أَثْقَالَكُمْ إِلَىٰ بَلَدٍ لَمْ تَكُونُوا بَالِغِيهِ إِلَّا بِشِقِّ الْأَنفُسِ They carry your loads to lands you would never reach without beasts of burden such as camels, except with great difficulty. إِنَّ رَبَّكُمْ لَرَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ Your Lord is all gentle, most merciful to you, since He created them for you. وَالْخَيْنَ وَالْبِغَالَ وَالْحَمِيرَ لِتَرْكَبُوهَا وَزِينَةً And He has created horses, mules and donkeys, both to ride and for adornment. This is to define the main blessings in their creation and does not preclude other blessings, such as eating horses as stated in the hadith in the two Sahih collections. وَيَخْلُقُ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And He creates other wondrous and strange things you do not know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses is reminding us of one of the greatest of his blessings and that is the blessing of the animals that Allah has provided for us that we eat from, that we use their wool, that we use their skin, that we use their different parts of their body, that we use for haulage in order to transport our goods, that we use ourselves to ride. And that is from the greatest of blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and some of those animals are big in stature like the camel, known to be obstinate, known to be to have an angry personality. But a young child of five or six, as the Arabs often do in the desert, a six, seven-year-old can take it by the reins and lead it as it pleases. And it subdues to it, and it follows it, and it obeys it. And that is because, obeys the child, and that is because of the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the camel respond, and those other animals to the whims and desires of humans. And Allah azza wa therefore reminds us of these amazing blessings. In verse number eight, he mentions the issue of, of horses and mules and donkeys and then the author Ta'ala says other blessings including eating horses and that is the position of the majority of the scholars that it is halal to eat horse meat from an Islamic point of view it is halal based on the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu al-Bukhari Muslim that the Prophet forbade the meat of domestic donkeys and he allowed the meat of horses and Allah Azza wa knows best and he creates other things that you do not know amongst the scholars of tafsir are those who said that that is general, meaning everything that you don't know that Allah created. And from amongst them, such as Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah, are those who said it is specific to the context of what is being mentioned. That you do not know what Allah, what else Allah has created from the animals that you can use and benefit from. Because as we know from modern science and so on, is that they're always discovering new species, new animals, new, uh, new creatures, new, uh, new things that they didn't know existed before. And Allah Azza wa says, therefore you take benefits in them in other ways that you do not yet know of. وَعَلَى اللَّهِ قَصْدُ السَّبِيلِ وَمِنْهَا جَائِذِ The clear straight way should lead to Allah, but there are those who deviate from it, from going straight on the way. وَلَوْ شَاءَ لَهَدَاكُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ If he had wished, he could have guided every one of you to go straight, so that all of you would choose to do it. وَالَّذِي أَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً It is he who sends down water from the sky. لَكُمْ مِنْهُ شَرَابٌ وَمِنْهُ شَجَرٌ فِيهِ تُسِيمُونَ From it you drink, and from it come the shrubs, which grow because of it, among which you graze your herds. يُنْبِتُ لَكُمْ بِهِ الزَّرْعَ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَالنَّخِيلَ وَالْأَعْنَابَ وَمِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَاتِ And by it he makes 
crops grow for you, and olives and dates and grapes, and fruit of every kind. There certainly is sign in all that which has been mentioned, which indicates the oneness of Allah for people who reflect and believe. And this is also from the great blessings of Allah Azzawajal, the blessing of rain from which we drink, from which we take our sustenance, from which the grass grows and the herbs and the shrubs and the plants and the flowers and the fruits and the vegetables grow. And Allah Azzawajal, as we've seen elsewhere in the Quran, will often when he's speaking about the examples of fruits, he will mention olives and dates and grapes. And one of the reasons that Allah knows best is because olives are known for their purity. And for the benefit that we take from them in terms of the oil, it is considered to have many benefits. Dates, because they were the staple food of the Arabs. And something which the Prophet ﷺ used to eat and the Arabs were familiar with. And it was the staple food of their time. Wala'anab and grapes, because in those times they were considered to be a luxury item. Not something which was easily uh, affordable or not even something which was easily uh, obtainable. And that is why the alcohol of the Arabs was not the alcohol of grapes. It wasn't wine made of grapes. But rather it was wine made from dates and barley and wheat. That is the alcohol of the Arabs. They didn't understand or know of this type of alcohol that we are familiar with because of their poverty and because of how difficult it was to obtain grapes and how far and wide they came from. And it's not something which grows in every and any climate. Allah says all of this. And every other fruit that we don't mention. وَمِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَاتِ and everything else that is not mentioned is from his blessings. He has made night and day subservient to you and the sun and moon and stars, all subject to his command, meaning his will. There are certainly signs in that for people who use their intellect and reflect. وَمَا ذَرَأَ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُخْتَلِفًا أَلْوَانُ And also the things, meaning animals, plants, and other natural phenomena, of varying colors, red, yellow, green, and all other hues, He has created for you in the earth. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَةً لِقَوْمٍ يَذَّكَّرُونَ There is certainly a sign in that for people who pay heed. And that is from also the blessings of Allah Azza wa in His creation and from His power subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the creation of Allah Azza wa is not all one and the same. Not everything looks the same. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created within His creation things of varying colors and of varying styles and of varying forms subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even what is the same in terms of His general creation can differ. The oceans differ in terms of their color, in terms of the properties of the water within them, in terms of the animals and the fish that live within them, the sea life. And then the mountains are not the same as Allah mentions in, uh, in Surah Fatir. وَمِنَ الْجِبَالِ جُدَدٌ بِيضٌ وَحُمْرٌ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهَا even in the mountains, there are mountains that are white, mountains that are black, mountains that are red, even the deserts differ in color, even the trees and plants and, and, and flowers and, and leaves differ in color, and that is all from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is he who made the sea subservient to you, enabling you to sail on it and dive into it, so that you may eat fresh flesh, meaning fish, from it, and bring out from it ornaments, meaning pearls and coral, to wear. And you see the ships cleaving through it, forwards and backwards, on the same wind. So that you can seek his bounty through trade, and so that perhaps you may show thanks to Allah for that. 
وألقى في الأرض رواسي أن تميد بكم وأنهارا وسبلا لعلكم تهتدون. He cast firmly embedded mountains on the earth so it would not move under you and rivers such as the Nile and pathways so that perhaps you would be guided to reach your desired destinations. Allah Azza wa Jal in, um, in verse number 15 mentions the rivers and the author Muhammad Ta'ala mentions the river Nile and one of the commentators of Al-Jalalain said because the Shaykh is Egyptian, Allah was Egyptian and maybe the Nile was outside of his house and so it's something which he was constantly seeing and it's something which therefore is constantly in his mind. And there are examples amongst the scholars who would uh, mention by way of example things that they could see or things that were dear and close to them. So you often have, for example, uh, scholars like in, when mentioning rivers, if they were from Egypt, they would mention the river Nile. And that has a basis in the hadith. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah, the Prophet said that the Nile and the Euphrates are from the rivers of Jannah. And from the examples of that, which is on a slight t- tangent, but it's a, uh, just to prove that point, is what Ibn Majah ta'ala, does in his Sunan, when he's speaking about the virtues of certain places, like Mecca and Medina and elsewhere, and then he mentions the virtue of his own hometown, Qizween. Because Ibn Majah is named, or he comes from, he's Al-Qizween, from an area which is today in the modern, uh, in the former Soviet republics, Qizween. And he mentions a hadith that is extremely weak. But it speaks about the virtue of, of Qizmin. And the scholars who commentate on the Sunnah of Ibn Majah say that it was his love for his hometown that made him include a hadith that is from the weakest of the hadiths that he mentioned within his Sunnah simply because he wanted to have some virtue of his hometown within his Sunnah. And landmarks which keep, which keep you on the paths, such as mountains by rivers. And they are guided by the stars, the direction of the Qibla at night. In verse 16, that is the position of Ibn Kathir mm-hmm. and others. The landmarks refer to the landmarks of the land and the sea by which you can traverse and you know the way home. And Imam Al-Tabi chose the position that Alamat is far more general. Far more general. Alamat is any sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the heavens, on the earth, on the sea, anything that a person can use. It is an alamah. Is he who creates, in other words, Allah, like him who does not create, referring to the idols, since you worship them as well? No. So, will you not pay heed to this and believe in him alone? If you try to number Allah's blessings, you could never count them. Meaning, you could never, you could not even enumerate them. Let alone be grateful for them. Allah is ever forgiving, most merciful, in spite of your falling short and your disobedience. Allah knows what you keep secret and what you make public. وَالَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَا يَخْلُقُونَ شَيْئًا وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ those they call on, read, read as Yad'una and Tad'una, you call upon and worship besides Allah, meaning the idols, do not create anything. They are themselves created, made out of stones and other things. So we can see now that Allah Azzawajal, after mentioning numerous signs and numerous blessings of His, and then saying, and if you were to try to count all of those blessings, you would be unable to do so. Allah Azzawajal will now speak about the way that people have turned away from Him worshipped other than him subhanahu wa ta'ala despite those many blessings that they continue to use whilst they make shirk of him 
once they associate partners with him, once they disbelieve in him subhanahu wa ta'ala, they continue to benefit and use the blessings that he has provided for them. أموات غير أحياء وما يشعرون أيان يبعثون. They are dead with no spirit in them, not alive. And they, meaning the idols, are not aware of when they will be raised. They were not aware of creation, so how can they be worshipped sincerely since there is no God except the living creator who knows the unseen? إلهكم إله واحد. Your God, who alone is entitled to your worship, is one God. There is no one like him in respect of his essence or his attributes. He is Allah Almighty. فَالَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ مُنْكِرَةٌ وَهُمْ مُسْتَكْبِرُونَ As for those who do not believe in the next world, their hearts are in denial of his oneness, and they are puffed up with pride, too arrogant to believe in it. لَا جَرَمَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مَا يُسِرُّونَ وَمَا يُعْلِنُونَ There is no doubt that Allah knows what they keep secret and what they make public, and will repay them for that. إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُسْتَكْبِرِينَ he does not love people puffed up with pride and will punish them. The following was revealed about Al-Nawr ibn Al-Harith. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ مَاذَا أَنزَلَ رَبُّكُمْ قَالُوا أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ When they are asked, what has your Lord sent down to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? They say, myths and legends, meaning fabrications of previous peoples to misguide people. In verse 24, and this is the man that we said, Another of the Harith that went to the Byzantine Roman Empire and, he, and Persia and he would buy stories from them and fables and he would come and he would relay them to the Meccans in order to compete with the Prophet Sallallahu and say, who's a better storyteller, me or Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? لِيَحْمِلُوا أَوْزَارَهُمْ كَامِلَةً يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَمِنْ أَوْزَارِ الَّذِينَ يُضِلُّونَهُمْ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ so, on the day of rising, the result of their affair is that they will carry the full weight of their own burdens, meaning sins, without any of them being expiated, and some of the burdens of those they misguided without knowledge, so that they followed them. And for that reason, they share in the wrong action. What an evil load they bear because of this. In verse 25, Allah Azza wa says, They will bear the burden, some of the burden. And some of the burdens of those that they misguided with knowledge. Some of the scholars said, meaning that they will bear some of their burdens. Why? Because they weren't aware of all the wrong that those people did. They weren't responsible for all of the evil actions. So that Allah will hold them responsible for all the evil that they did. But just the evil that they were a, a, a reason for. So if that person led them away from Allah, made them commit shirk, they will be responsible for that. But if then they go and kill and they steal and they do other things that they weren't responsible for, that is not something which Allah Azza wa will keep them or hold them responsible for. Others from amongst them said that what is being referred to and from those and some of the burdens of those they misguided without knowledge, that it's referring to the misguided themselves, that those who are misguided act without knowledge. That's what it's being referred to. Some of the burdens of those they misguided, meaning those that they misguided are people without knowledge. And so they act based upon no knowledge. And the third tafsir, which is also a correct tafsir, is that it's referring to those that they worship. That they worship those that have no knowledge of them being worshipped. Meaning that they worship the, the prophets. And the prophets don't know that they're worshipping them besides Allah. They're not responsible. They're worshipping saints. They're worshipping the righteous. And they're not responsible. And even the idols that they worship are not aware of them being worshipped. And that is why, as we mentioned at the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah, when Isa is asked by Allah, did you tell people to worship you and your mother's bes- mother besides me? He will say, Subhanak, glory be to you. I didn't know what they did once I had passed away.
قَدْ مَكَرَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ Those before them also plotted. It's said to be a reference to Nimrod, who built a tall tower by which to ascend to heaven so that he could fight its inhabitants. فَأَتَى اللَّهُ بُنْيَانَهُمْ مِنَ الْقَوَاعِدِ فَفَرَّ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّقْفُ مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ And Allah came at their building from the foundation, sending wind and an earthquake against which it destroyed it. And the roof caved in on top of them. وَأَتَاهُمُ الْعَذَابُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَشْعُونَ The punishment came at them from where they did not expect, and in a way which had not occurred to them. It is also said that this is a metaphor for the ruin of all the plotting of the unbelievers against their messengers. And this is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir in verse 26. Those who plotted before them, that is referring to a specific or an actual building, an actual fortress. And how Allah destroyed it. And that's why you have, as Sutra Allah says, the example of Nimrud. It was actual structures that Allah destroyed. And the other position amongst the scholars of Tafsir that is supported by Ibn Kathir and others is that this is metaphorical. It's a parable of how when people plot and plan against Allah, Allah destroys their plotting and planning from above, from beneath, from every direction and every side. And so it's not literal, but it is an example, a parable that Allah sets forth of people who plot and plan against Allah and how Allah destroys their plotting and planning. ثُمَّ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يُخْزِيهِمْ وَيَقُولُ أَيْنَ شُرَكَائِيَ الَّذِينَ كُنْتُمْ تُشَاقُونَ فِيهِمْ Then on the day of rising, he, meaning Allah, will disgrace them and say to them on the tongues of the angels to rebuke them, Where are my partner gods you claim, for whose sake you became so hostile and opposed the believers? قَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ إِنَّ الْخِزِيَ الْيَوْمَ وَالسُّوءَ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ those given knowledge among the prophets and believers will say, Today there is disgrace and evil for the unbelievers. As for those the angels take in death, read as tatawafahum and yatawafahum, while they are wronging themselves through unbelief. They will offer their submission, meaning they will obey and submit at death. Saying, we did not do any evil, meaning commit shirk. The angels will say, بَلَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ Oh yes you did. Allah knows what you are doing and will repay you for it. They will be told, فَدْخُلُوا أَبْوَابَ جَهَنَّمَ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا Enter the gates of hell, remaining in it timelessly forever. فَلَبِئْسَ مَثْوَ الْمُتَكَبِّرِينَ How evil is the abode of the arrogant? وَقِيلَ لِلَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ مَاذَا أَنزَلَ رَبُّكُمْ When those who are fearful of Allah and afraid of committing shirk are asked, What has your Lord set down? قَالُوا خَيْرًا Their reply is good. لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا It is good in the life of this world for those who do good, accompanied by faith. وَلَدَاهُ الْآخِرَةِ خَيْرٍ And the abode of the next world, meaning the garden, is even better than this world and what it contains. Allah says about it, how wonderful is the abode of those who are God-fearing. Gardens of Eden, which they enter with rivers flowing under them, where they have whatever they desire. That is how Allah repays those who are God-fearing. الذين تتوفاهم الملائكة طيبين يقولون سلام عليكم 
those the angels take in a virtuous state, meaning free from unbelief, they say to them when they die, peace be upon you. And they will be told in the next world, Enter the garden for what you did. What are they? Meaning the unbelievers waiting for, for the angels to come to them. Read as, and to take their souls, or for your Lord's command of the punishment on the day of rising to come. That which they did is like what those before them from earlier communities did, when they denied their messengers and so were destroyed. Allah did not wrong them by destroying them without their committing wrong. Rather, they wronged themselves through their unbelief. In verse 33, when Allah Azza wa says, أَوْ يَأْتِيَ أَمْرُ رَبِّكَ Or for your Lord's command to come. And the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, gives two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. One is that the command of Allah that is being referred to is his adab, his punishment. And the second one is that it refers to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the second of those two positions of Yawm Al-Qiyamah is the one that was supported by Ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari, alihima rahmatullah and others, based upon other verses of the Qur'an, such as the one that we've already mentioned, هَلْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَّا تَأْتِيَهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَ رَبُّكَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَ بَعْضُ آيَاتِ رَبِّكَ And so Allah Azza wa refers to that in the context of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that is the position, therefore, that was supported by Ibn Kathir and Al-Tabari and others, rahimahumullah. فَأَصَابَهُمْ سَيِّئَاتُ مَا عَمِلُوا The repayment for the evil actions which they did assailed them. وَحَاقَ بِهِمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ They were engulfed by what they mocked, meaning the punishment. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا لَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ مَا عَبَدْنَا مِنْ دُونِهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ نَحْنُ وَلَا آبَاؤُنَا وَلَا حَرَّمْنَا مِنْ دُونِهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ the idolaters among the people of Mecca say, If Allah had willed, we would not have worshipped anything apart from Him. Neither we nor our fathers, nor would we have forbidden anything without His say. Meaning the result of superstitions such as Bahira and Sa'iba and other manifestations of their shirk. They said that making such things haram was by Allah's will, and He was pleased with it. Allah says, Those before them said the same when they denied the messengers regarding what they brought. Are the messengers responsible for anything but clear transmission? They are not held responsible for whether people follow their guidance. In verse 35, and that is from the worst of what a person can say about Allah Azza wa Jal. That it is Allah who wanted us to make shirk. It is Allah who decreed that we and our forefathers would be misguided. It is Allah who wants us to worship these idols besides Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jal will say to those people and he will not accept that as a justification of their shirk on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. We sent a messenger among every people. As we sent messengers to those peoples mentioned, saying, Worship Allah and affirm his unity and keep clear of worshipping all false gods. Among them was some whom Allah guided and who therefore believed, but others received the misguidance they deserved in Allah's foreknowledge, and so they did not believe. Travel, unbelievers of Mecca, about the earth and see the final fate of the, of the deniers who belied the messengers and were destroyed. However eager you are, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for them to be guided, 
If Allah has misguided them, you will, ne- you will not be able to do so. Allah will not guide those whom He misguides. They will have no helpers to defend them against the punishment of Allah. وَأَقْسَمُوا بِاللَّهِ جَهْدَ أَيْمَانِهِمْ لَا يَبْعَثُ اللَّهُ مَنْ يَمُوتُ They swear by Allah with their most earnest oaths that Allah will not raise up those who die. بَلَا وَعْدًا عَلَيْهِ حَقَّا When, on the contrary, it is a true and binding promise on him to resurrect them. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ But most of the people of Mecca do not know it. لِيُبَيِّنَ لَهُمُ الَّذِي يَخْتَلِفُونَ فِيهِ It, meaning resurrecting them, is so that he may make clear to them the things they differed about with the believers regarding their own punishment and the reward of the believers. And so, that those who disbelieved will know that they, are liars, that they were liars when they denied the resurrection. Our command to a thing when we desire to bring it into existence is just to say to it, Be, and it is. Read as فَيَكُونُ and فَيَكُونَ This ayah is an indication of Allah's power to bring about the resurrection. وَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا فِي اللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا ظُلِمُوا لَنُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً As for those who immigrate for Allah's sake in order to establish his deen after being wronged through the harm done to them by the people of Mecca, meaning the Prophet wasallam and his companions, we shall give them good lodging in this world, in Medina. وَلَأَجْرُ الْآخِرَةِ أَكْبَرُ and the reward of the next world in the garden is greater still. لَوْ كَانُوا If they, meaning the unbelievers, or those who did not emigrate only knew about the honor which those who emigrate are given, in which case they would have done so too. In, in verse 41, the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and this is one of those verses that some of the scholars then said, that some of the verses of the surah are therefore madani. And that is uh, what is being referred to here in terms of the immigration. Is it the Prophet ﷺ migrating from, or his companions migrating from Mecca to Medina, which is possible? And the other tafsir, the one that's supported by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and those scholars that say that all of the surah is Mecca, is that the migration that is being referred to is not the one to Medina, but rather the one to Habasha, to Abyssinia. It's referring to those companions that traveled, and so Allah is praising them that they traveled and they migrated for the sake of their religion to Abyssinia, and that is another tafsir of the verse. Yeah. Those who are steadfast in the face of the harm done to them by the idolaters and emigrate to make the deen victorious and put their trust in the Lord. Allah will provide for them from where they do not expect. We have only ever sent before you men, not to angels who were given revelation. Ask the people of the reminder, meaning those who know the Torah and the Gospel, if you do not know that. They do know it. And, and you are more likely to believe them than, than to believe those who believe in Muhammad. In, in verse 43, Allah says, Ask the people of the reminder, meaning the people of knowledge. And one of the common tafsirs or one of the common explanations of this verse amongst the scholars of tafsir is that the people of the reminder in this verse is referring to the people of the Torah and the Gospel, as he mentions here, the Torah and the Injil. They are those scholars that are being referred to. And another position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that it refers to the people of the Qur'an. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ The scholars of Islam. 
Because Allah uses the word dhikr in the Quran to refer to the Quran as we saw at the beginning of Surah Al-Hijr. Indeed, we have revealed to you the reminder meaning the Quran. Either way, whichever of those two positions is taken, the principle still stands that in issues of religion where a person doesn't have knowledge and doesn't know, then it is incumbent upon them to ask those who know and to seek that knowledge from the people that they trust in their religion, in their faith, in their knowledge, in their taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a command from Allah azza wa jal. So that people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah cannot say, Oh Allah, we didn't know. We worship you upon ignorance. Allah can say to them that we commanded you to seek knowledge and to ask those people who know so that you would worship Allah azza wa jal based upon knowledge and not based upon ignorance. Bilbayinati wazzubur who bought clear signs and real books. وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And we have sent down the reminder, meaning the Qur'an to you, so that you may make clear to mankind what has been sent down to them, regarding the lawful and unlawful, so that perhaps they will reflect on that and take note. أَفَأَمِنَ الَّذِينَ مَكَرُوا السَّيِّئَاتِ أَنْ يَخْسِفَ اللَّهُ بِهِمُ الْأَرْضَ أَوْ يَأْتِيَهُ to those who plot evil actions against the Prophet ﷺ in the Dawah Nadwa to imprison him, kill him, or expel him, as stated in Surah Al-Anfal, feel secure that Allah will not cause the earth to swallow them up in the way that Qarun was swallowed up, or that a punishment will not come upon them from where they least expect. Such an event can occur from a direction which they have not thought about. They were destroyed at Badr and were not expecting that. أو يأخذهم على تقلبهم فما هم بمعجزين أو يأخذهم في تقلبهم فما هم بمعجزين Or that he will not seize them on their travels for trade Something they are powerless to prevent Meaning they have no power to evade Allah's punishment أو يأخذهم على تخوف Or that he will not seize them little by little The word here for seize, تخوف, means to take them one by one Until all are destroyed فَإِنَّ رَبَّكُمْ لَرَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ for your Lord is all-compassionate, most merciful, since he does not hasten the punishment. Do they not see the things Allah has created, such as trees and mountains, casting their shadows to the right and to the left? In other words, they stretch first to one side at the beginning of the day, and then to the other later on prostrating themselves, referring to the shadows, before Allah in complete humility. Shadows are here referred to as if they were beings with intelligence. Everything in the heavens and every creature on the earth prostrates to Allah, meaning is subject to Him and does what He wants it to. And this includes things with no intelligence which are extremely numerous, as do the angels. The angels are specifically mentioned because of their excellence. They are not puffed up with pride, preventing them from worshipping him. They, meaning the angels, fear their Lord above them, knowing his power over them, and do what they are ordered to, to do. وَقَالَ اللَّهُ لَا تَتَّخِذُوا إِلَهَيْنِ اثْنَيْنِ Allah says, do not take two gods. The word two, اثنين, is added, despite being present in the dual form of the noun for reasons of stress. 
He is only one God, affirming both his divinity and unity. So dread me alone and no one else. This is an example of a change of person from the third person singular to the first person singular. In verse 51, as we mentioned before, <coughs> So fear me alone. Everything in the heavens and earth belongs to him, as his kingdom, creation and slaves, and the deen belongs to him. Obedience is due to him, firmly and forever. So, why do you fear anyone other than Allah? He is a true God and there is no God but him. This is a question implying rebuke and expecting a negative response. In verse 52, Allah says, وَاصِبًا uh, which is translated here as the, and the deen, the religion belongs to him firmly and forever. The word wasib, according to Ibn Abbas عنه, means forever, daim. And another tafsir that is given to it is wajib, that it is an obligation that you make your worship for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And another tafsir that is given is khalis, that you should sincerely make your worship or your religion for Allah alone, as Allah says in Surah Al-Bayyana, Mukhlisina lahu deen. And all of them are similar in meaning, and all of them are correct. Any blessing you have is from Allah. Only Allah brings it about. Then, when harm, such as poverty and illness, touches you, it is to Him you cry for help, raising your voices and asking for help and in supplication and calling on Him alone. But when he removes the harm from you, a group of you, associate others with their Lord. Ungrateful for what? Meaning the blessings we have given them. Enjoy yourselves in worshipping your idols. This is a threat to them. You will soon know the result of doing that. They, meaning the idolaters, allot a portion of the provision we have given them to things they have no knowledge of at all. Meaning they allot a portion of their crops and livestock to their idols. When they do not know whether they harm or benefit them. They said, this is for Allah and this is for our partner gods. By Allah, you will be asked about what you invented by saying that Allah commanded you to do that. This is a rebuke. In verse 56, Allah says, They do it based upon no knowledge. And the commentary of Surah refers to the knowledge being removed from the people who worship other than Allah. Meaning that as they give to them, they don't they don't have no knowledge of those of those idols, they're ignorant of what those idols can do for them in terms of giving them harm, giving them benefit, and so on. And the other tips here, as we mentioned a short while ago, is that they worship those idols, and those idols are the ones ignorant of them. They're the ones that have no knowledge that they're being worshipped. And what is worse than a person who worships something based on no knowledge, but what they're calling upon has no knowledge that it's even being called upon, that it's being worshipped besides Allah, that things are being expected of it, that it's being asked for blessings or help or anything else. They're ignorant anyway of those calls. And so Allah Azza wa mentions, and both tafsirs are correct, and there is a further humiliation upon them. وَيَجَعَلُونَ لِلَّهِ الْبَنَاتِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَلَهُمْ مَا يَشْتَهُونَ They allot daughters to Allah by saying that the angels are his daughters. Glory be to him. This interjection is to disconnect him from their claims. While they have what, meaning their sons, they want. In other words, they allot him daughters which they dislike when he is far exalted about, 
above having any children and they allot themselves the sons which they prefer so that they have what is more glorious than what they attribute to him. This is also referred to in his words. Ask them their true opinion. Does your Lord have daughters while they themselves have sons? And this is what Allah Azza wa mentioned in the previous verse that we covered <coughs> as well. And that is that the Quraysh or some of the Arabs in their, in their ignorance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in their arrogance would say that if we have daughters we will bury them alive and kill them because they are humiliation and a source of shame for us and our families. But then when he came to Allah Azza wa they would give him daughters. And the sons they kept only for themselves, even though by their own admission it is something which they consider to be greater or nobler. And the verse that the author Ta'ala, is referring to is the verse in Surah Al-Tur, فَاسْتَفْتِهِمْ And so this was a common understanding of theirs that they had Allah rebukes them for it because even by their own logic it is twisted. وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحَدُهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ When one of them is given the good news of the birth of a baby girl, his face darkens with sorrow and he's furious. So how can you ascribe daughters to Allah? يَتَوَارَى مِنَ الْقَوْمِ مِنْ سُوءِ مَا بُشِّرَ بِهِ He hides away from his people because of the evil of the good news he has been given. Out of fear of censure, but he hesitates about what he should do about it. Should he keep her alive ignominiously or bury her alive in the earth? What an evil judgment they make in ascribing daughters to their creator when they themselves take this position about it. Meaning that the Arabs had two options, those tribes, and this wasn't every single Arab tribe. It wasn't something which was common, for example, amongst the Quraysh. But it was common amongst other than them. And that they would bury their daughters alive. They have two options with these daughters when they were born to them. Either they could keep them and live with that shame, or they could bury them in the ground and kill them. And Allah says both are things which are evil in terms of the way that they judge what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded them to do. And that is the warped way that they would think of these things. Those, meaning the unbelievers who do, not, who do not believe in the next world, have an evil, meaning ugly, likeness. That is a reference to their burying their daughters alive, although they need them for marriage. Allah's is the highest likeness. Embodied in the expression, there is no God but Allah. He is the Almighty in His kingdom, the All-Wise in His creation. In verse 60, to Allah belongs the highest and best of examples. Allah Azza wa belongs the highest and best of examples. I think that is a better translation. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says that Allah Azza wa is at the beginning of this verse ascribing the worst of examples to the disbelievers. Examples that are full of weakness and deficiency and bad character and evil and foul dealings. And then to himself subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah ascribes the best of examples meaning the highest and the most perfect and the greatest and the most noblest of examples belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَوْ يُؤَاخِذُ اللَّهُ النَّاسَ بِظُلْمِهِمْ مَا تَرَكَ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ دَابَّةٍ وَلَكِنْ يُؤَخِرُهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى If Allah were to punish people for their wrong actions, meaning acts of disobedience, not a single living creature would be left upon the earth. But he defers them till a predetermined time. فَإِذَا جَاءَ أَجَلُهُمْ لَا يَسْتَأْخِرُونَ سَاعَةً وَلَا يَسْتَقْدِمُونَ When their specified time arrives, they cannot delay it for a single hour, nor can they bring it forward. 
ويجعلون لله ما يكرهون وتصف ألسنتهم الكذب أن لهم الحسنى they allot to Allah what they themselves dislike in respect of daughters, a share of power and humiliation of the messengers, and their tongues frame the lie that they will receive the best, meaning the garden with Allah, when they say, if I am returned to my Lord, I will definitely find the best reward with him. Allah says, لا جرم أن لهم النار وأنهم مفرطون There is no doubt at all that they will receive the fire and that they are people who go to excess, whereas مفرطون and مفرطون in verse number 62, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to these people again who are the disbelievers. And Allah azza wa says concerning them that they claim that they will receive the best. And the author ta'ala says meaning that they will have the best in Jannah in the next life. Ibn Kathir ta'ala says that the meaning of al-husna is the best of this world. And if there is a next life, then we will have the best of the next life as well. And that is what the author ta'ala, refers to in the verse that he has quoted in his commentary. And if I will return to my Lord, then I will have what is best with him as well. Why? Because amongst many of them, the Arabs, including the Quraysh, they denied resurrection. Or they were unsure of resurrection. Either they denied it outright, or they were in two minds. They weren't sure. Will there be a resurrection or not? And so their claim was that Allah will give to us the best of this world in terms of wealth, in terms of blessings, in terms of favors. And even if there is to be, for the sake of argument, a next life, then surely Allah would give us even greater there, based on their false logic, that if Allah has honored us here by wealth, that means that Allah loves us. And if Allah loves us, and there is an internal bliss and life and jannah, then surely Allah will give us even greater in that life. And something similar we will see in the story of Kahf, in the story of the man, in Surah Al-Kahf, in the story of the man with the two gardens. That he has a similar statement of his. And that is a false notion, again, that people think that just because Allah gives them blessings in this life, blessings, wealth, power, prestige, lineage, all of this is equivalent to Allah's love. Allah only gives it to those whom he loves. So therefore, the opposite is true according to that logic that if someone is poor, someone doesn't have much wealth, someone doesn't have status and prestige in society, therefore Allah doesn't love them. And Allah shatters that false standard that people have. Allah Azza doesn't base his blessings upon whom he loves or doesn't love. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives those blessings to everyone because to him those blessings are not worth anything. But the blessing that is precious to Allah is the one of iman and taqwa. And that is the one that Allah Azza wa only gives to those whom he loves. لَا There is no doubt they will receive the fire and that there are people who go to excess. The word mufrat in this context means one of two things. Number one is that they will be forgotten. وَأَنَّهُمْ مُفْرَطُونَ They will be forgotten. They will be thrown in the fire and they will be forgotten. And that is the worst of punishment amongst them. That Allah Azza wa completely forgets them. Disposes of them, discards them and then forgets them. No one remembers them. And the second meaning of the word mufrat that is possible is that they will be the foremost of the people to be punished in the fire. To be amongst the first to be punished in the fire and Allah knows best. تالله لقد أرسلنا إلى أمم من قبلك فزين لهم الشيطان أعمالهم by Allah, by Allah we sent messengers to communities before your time but shaytan made their evil actions seem good to them so they denied the messengers 
Therefore, today he is their protector, meaning he is the one who manages their affairs today in this world. They will have a painful punishment in the next world. It is also said that the word today here refers to the day of rising and it reports about a future state. In other words, they will then have no protector except him. But he will have no power to protect himself even, so how will he be able to help them? وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا لِتُبَيِّنَ لَهُمُ الَّذِي اخْتَلَفُوا فِيهِ وَهُدًا وَرَحْمَةً لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ We have only set down the book, meaning the Qur'an to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so that you may make clear to them the things about which they differ regarding the deen, and, his, and as a guidance and a mercy to people who believe. وَاللَّهُ أَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَحْيَا بِهِ الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا Allah sends down water from the sky and by it brings the dead earth back to life with plants after it has been arid and lifeless. إِنَّ فِي ذَانِكَ لَآيَةً لِقَوْمِ يَسْمَعُونَ There is certainly a sign of the resurrection in that which has been mentioned for people who hear and reflect. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 65 mm. onwards now will mention more of his blessings subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is because of this constant reminder of Allah's blessings be they blessings of water or be they blessings of the sun and the moon or blessings of animals or whatever it may be and it may be, or if it may be the blessing of guidance and knowledge and Islam this is a surah that speaks about the many blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal and that's why we said a number of the scholars used to refer to it as the surah of blessings وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ there is instruction for you in cattle. نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهِ مِنْ بَيْنِ فَرْثٍ وَدَمٍ لَبَنًا From the contents of their bellies, from between the dung and blood, we give you pure milk to drink, not sullied by either dung or blood in respect of its taste, smell or colour. سَائِغًا لِلشَّارِبِينَ Easy for drinkers to swallow. وَمِنْ ثَمَرَاتِ النَّخِيلِ وَالْأَعْنَابِ تَتَّخِذُونَ مِنْهُ سَكَرًا And from the fruit of the date palm and the grapevine you derive both intoxicants. This was revealed before wine was made unlawful. And wholesome provisions such as dates, raisins, vinegar and grape syrup. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَةً لِقَوْمٍ it is certainly a sign in that of the power of Allah for people to use their intellect and reflect. In verse number 67, the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, when he speaks about the fruits of the date palm and the grape wine, تَتَّخِذُونَ مِنْهُ سَكَرًا وَرِزْقًا حَسَنًا He says, Allah Azzawajal says, some of it you take as an intoxicant and some of it as a wholesome provision, meaning some that you eat in the halal way and some that you take as an intoxicant. He, Rahimahullah Sayyuti, takes the position that this verse is referring to alcohol, intoxicants. And that it was halal, obviously, at the beginning of Islam, and then became haram in the Medina period. And obviously, as we said, that this surah is a Meccan surah, so therefore there is no uh, there is no contradiction in terms of the understanding. And the other opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir, the one chosen by Tabari and al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah, Muhammad al-Amin, and others, is that Allah Azza wa is not saying that it was halal, but Allah is relaying to us how people use these things. So Allah is not saying that it was made halal for them to do so, but this is what Allah is reminding them of the favors and blessings that they had, and from what they would use of those blessings, because the actual grape itself is halal, the date is halal, these are from the halal provisions of Allah, but they would take some of it and turn it into intoxicants. So it is not a command of Allah saying that it is halal, but rather Allah relaying to us how people would use His blessings.
وأوحى ربك إلى النحل أن اتخذي من الجبال بيوتا ومن الشجر ومما يعرشون Your Lord revealed by inspiration to the bees, build dwellings for shelter in the mountains and the trees, and also in the structures which men erect, a reference to hives which people build for them. Without this divine instruction, they would not resort to them. In verse 68, Allah Azza wa says, وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحْلِ And your Lord inspired to the bees. And that is, I think, a better translation, even the word awha, even though the word awha means revealed, but in this context, as Asiyuti Rahmullah then says in his commentary, he says inspired, and your Lord inspired to the bees, because there is a difference between wahi and ilham. And the difference between the two is that wahi revelation is what Allah Azzawajal sends directly to a prophet or a messenger, by way of speaking to him directly, or by way of the angel Jibreel alayhi salam. That is wahi, and that is what only the prophets receive. Only the prophets of Allah and his messengers receive that type of revelation. The second type of revelation is inspiration. That a person has within their heart a really strong feeling and they have a firm conviction that it is correct and right. And that is an inspiration that Allah has placed in their hearts that Allah gives to those people who are firm on Iman, who are people of faith and taqwa and knowledge. Those are the people that receive that. And from that inspiration is the inspiration that Allah gives to His creation, His creatures, that they should behave and live in a certain way. And that is what is being referred to here. And it is important to make that distinction. Because Allah Azza wa will mention in Surah Al-Qasas about the mother of Musa, alayhi salam, وَأَوْحِيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ الْأَرْضِعِي We revealed to the mother of Musa that she should suckle him. And the meaning here is not revelation is in prophethood as in an angel came to her. But it means here that she had inspiration. She was inspired to do this to him. And that is why the scholars, the position of the scholars of Islam is, or the vast majority of them anyway, is that every prophet and messenger was male. And those who said that there were females amongst them is because they took that word wahi amongst the proofs that they used to be more literal. And that is not the correct understanding by evidence of this verse, because Allah says that the bee was inspired or revealed to, and no one says that the bee is a prophet or a messenger of Allah, which shows that it can come in both of those meanings in the Qur'an. And these are the verses that now speak about the bees, after which it is said that the surah is named after. ثُمَّ كُلِي مِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَاتِ فَاسْلُكِي سُبُلَ رَبِّكِ ذُلُلَا Then eat from every kind of fruit and travel the paths of your Lord in search of nectar, which have been made easy for you to follow. These things have been placed at the service of bees, and so they are not difficult for them to reach, even if the surroundings are rough. And bees do not normally get lost, even if they travel great distances. From inside them comes a drink of varying colors, meaning honey, containing healing for mankind for illnesses. It is said this means for some illnesses, indicated by the fact that the word healing is indefinite, or it may mean all illnesses, since it is grammatically connected to mankind as a whole, or it may be that the healing is dependent on the intention with which it is administered. The Prophet ﷺ prescribed it for someone who had a stomach complaint, as related by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. There is certainly a sign in that, meaning Allah's handiwork for people who reflect. In this verse, in verse 69, Allah Azzawajal says that from the benefits of what comes from the bees, which is the honey that they produce by Allah's permission, is an amazing thing that people consume. And within it, there is cure as well. Within it, there is a cure. And the hadith that is being referred to here in Al-Bukhari and Muslims, the hadith of Abu Sa'id, 
Al-Khudri radiallahu anhu that a man came to the Prophet and he said, O Messenger of Allah, my brother has a stomach ailment, a stomach illness, and it's difficult upon him. So do you have anything that we can use? Do you recommend anything? The Prophet said, tell him to use honey. So the man went and he drank honey, no benefit. Second time he drinks it, no benefit. Third time, no benefit. Comes back the man to the Prophet and he says, O Messenger of Allah, he drank it numerous times and he had no benefit. The Prophet said, Sadaqallah wa kadaba batnu akhi. Allah is truthful, the stomach of your brother is lying. And that is why some of the scholars here, as Surah Rahimullah says, it's not for every illness, it's for some illness, and so on and so forth. All it depends on the intention by which it is taken. And Allah Azza wa knows best. For what we do know that is authentically reported in the Sunnah, in Al-Bukhari and Muslim of Aisha radiallahu anha hadith, that the Prophet وسلم, would love to eat desserts. He would love to eat sweet things, halwa, and he would love to eat honey. Which for those of us who have a sweet tooth is something which we can use as an evidence for that. Wallahu khalaqakum thumma yatawafakum. Allah created you when you were nothing and then will take you back again at the end of your lifespans. Waminkum may you raddu ila abdali l'umudini kayla ya'lama ba'da ilmin shayya. And some of you revert to the lowest form of life, a reference to senility and dotage. So that after having knowledge, you know nothing at all. Ikrima said that this only applies to people who used to read and act by the Qur'an, and then cease to do so. Allah is all-knowing of how to manage His creation, all-powerful, meaning able to do whatever He wills. In this verse, in verse number 70, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring from the greatest of His signs, how people start off as children, weak, needing constant help, babies that need constant tending to, need constant supervision, can't eat without help, can't relieve themselves without help, need continuous help and support. And then how the life cycle takes them by the permission of Allah, if Allah wills that someone lives to that age, to the age of being becoming senile, becoming extremely infirm and weak and old, to the extent that they again need that type of support. They again need, in their extremely old age, people who will tend to them, people who will care for them, people who will supervise them just as a child needs that. And that is from the greatest signs of Allah's creation, that it goes round and round. And just as Allah created that person, Allah can choose to resurrect them. And the statement of Iqlimah rahimahullah ta'ala, a number of scholars say that from the greatest ways of preserving intellect and the mind is to reflect over the Qur'an and to reflect over the sunnah and to use it in ways that are good and beneficial because when you use your mind to think and you use your brain even scientifically it is proven to help if you're constantly using it in new ways learning new skills your cognitive skills are continuously used it helps with retaining your function of the mind and your brain and from the greatest ways of using that as Ibn Qayyim Taala says is by using it for the Qur'an reflecting over the Qur'an, studying the Qur'an, increasing your knowledge of Islam, you're using your brain, you're thinking, you're making connections between Qur'an and Sunnah, between principles and between etiquettes, and that is not only something that will benefit you, but it is also an act of worship that brings with it a great reward. Allah has favored some of you over others in provision. So some are rich and some poor, some are masters and some slaves. فَمَنْ الَّذِينَ فُضِّلُوا بِرَادِّي رِزْقِهِمْ عَلَى مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ فَهُمْ فِيهِ سَوَاءٌ 
that those who have been favoured, meaning the masters, do not give their provision to their slaves by dividing their wealth and other things, other things which, with which Allah has provided them between themselves and their slaves, so that masters and slaves become partners in the master's property. So they become the same in respect of it. The implication here is, since people do not make their slaves partners in their property, how can they make some of Allah's slaves partners with Him? So, why do they renounce the blessings of Allah and disbelieve by ascribing partners to Him? Allah has given you wives from among yourselves, meaning by cre- creating Hawa from a rib of Adam and all others through sexual intercourse between men and women. وَجَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَزْوَاجِكُمْ بَنِينَ وَحَفَدَةً وَرَزَقَكُمْ مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ And given you children and grandchildren from your wives and provided good things for you, meaning types of fruits, grains and animals. أَفَبِالْبَاطِلِ يُؤْمِنُونَ وَبِنِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ هُمْ يَكْفُرُونَ So why do they believe in falsehood, meaning idols, and reject the blessings of Allah by associating others with Him? وَيَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَمْلِكُ لَهُمْ رِزْقًا مِّنَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ And worship instead of Allah things that have no control of their provision from the heavens, meaning rain or earth, meaning plants in any way, and are themselves completely impotent, meaning the idols are impotent and cannot do anything. فَلَا تَضْرِبُوا لِلَّهِ الْأَمْثَالِ Do not try to make metaphors for Allah, meaning do not make other things like Allah by associating them with Him. Allah knows that there's nothing like him and you do not know that. Allah does make a metaphor. An own slave possessing no power over anything who is clearly quite different from, from a free man and someone we have given plentiful provision, who gives out from it secretly and openly, meaning he disposes of it however he wishes. The first example, meaning the own slave, represents the idols, and the second, the master, Allah Almighty. Are they the same? Meaning, are, our powerless, are a powerless slave and a capable master equal? Praise be to Allah alone. They are not, but most people do not know it. Meaning, do not know the reality of the punishment which they will suffer and so they associate others with Allah. In verse 75 and then the following verse as well, 76, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will set forth two parables. And some of the scholars of ta'ala mentions, they say that it is a parable between Allah and between the idols that are worshipped beside Allah. And others said it is a parable of those who worship Allah and those who worship the idols beside Allah. So one is about the gods that are worshipped, and the second is about those who worship those gods. And both of them are similar in terms of meaning. Mujahid rahimahullah is the one who took the second opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir. The parable that Allah is giving here is like the one of a slave. The idol is like the slave because the slave owns nothing, possesses nothing. Everything it does goes back to its master, has no control over anything. And the free person is the one who owns their property, they own their wealth, they have a share of what they earn, for them they can spend as they please, when they please, how they please, they have that independence and that freedom. Whereas the slave has nothing, everything they earn and get goes back to their master. 
And that is the example, those people who worship the idols, in fact, in fact, in reality, have no control, they have nothing to give, they have no power, they have no ability, as opposed to the one who worships Allah, who is all capable, all able, subhanahu wa ta'ala, controls everything in the universe. وضرب الله مثل الرجلين أحدهما أبكم لا يقدر على شيء وهو كل على مولاه أينما يوجهه لا يأتي بخير Allah makes another metaphor two men one of them deaf and dumb unable to do anything because he does not understand and is not understood a burden on his master no matter where he directs him he brings no good meaning success this is what an unbeliever is like هل يستوي هو ومن يأمر بالعدل وهو على صراط مستقيم Is he the same as someone who commands justice meaning one who speaks and helps people since he can command and encourage them and he's on a straight path This is what a believer is like It is also said that this is a metaphor in which the second man represents Allah and the first the idols rather than being a representation of the unbelievers and the believers And in 76 verse 76 the author ta'ala is again mentioning those two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir in Tafsir al-Tabari, there is a narration of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah that he says that this verse was referring to Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu an and one of his servants, one of his slaves. That Uthman radiyallahu an was a, a, at the beginning of Islam was someone who had a slave, a servant that used to work for him. And Uthman was extremely generous and kind towards him despite that man being a disbeliever. And Uthman would give him da'wah, call him to Allah, remind him to Allah, tell him to come to Islam and worship Allah alone. And at the same time, he's spending on him and he's giving to him and he's being extremely generous to him. And as we know, Uthman radiallahu anhu amongst the companions is known for his generosity radiallahu anhu and his kindness and his soft character and his shyness and his humbleness and humility radiallahu anhu. So he's constantly spending and giving to him. And as well as he's spending upon others and giving to others and giving charity. And this slave of his, despite the goodness that Uthman is doing towards him, he would say to Uthman, why are you wasting your money spending on all of these Muslims? They're poor, they're weak. Why are you giving your money away? Why is your money? Keep it. Why are you spending it away? If you keep spending like this, you'll have nothing left. And so that is what Allah Ibn Abbas said is referring to in terms of the two men. One is spending and is good. And the other one brings no good. Irrespective of what you do and where you tell them to go, they're like the dumb blind one who can bring no good and does no good. And Allah knows best. The knowledge of the unseen of the heavens and earth belongs to Allah. وَمَا أَمْرُ السَّاعَةِ إِلَّا كَلَمْحِ الْبَصَرِ أَوْ هُوَ أَقْرَبٍ The matter of the hour is only the blink of an eye away, or even nearer, because it is simply a matter of the expression, be and it is. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ Allah has power over all things. وَاللَّهُ أَخْرَجَكُمْ مِّن بُطُونِ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ شَيْئًا وَجَعَلَ لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِدَةَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Allah brought you out of your mother's wombs, knowing nothing at all, and gave you hearing, sight, and heart, so that perhaps you would show thanks for that and believe. أَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى الطَّيْنِ مُسَخَّرَاتٍ فِي جَوِّ السَّمَاءِ do they not see the birds suspended in mid-air, up in the sky, meaning able to fly through the air between heaven and earth? مَا إِلَّا اللَّهِ Nothing holds them there except Allah. When they draw in or stretch out their wings, all that keeps them from falling is the power of Allah. إِنَّ فِي ذَٰلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ 
There are certainly signs in that for people who believe. Birds are his creation, and he gives them the power to fly and created the atmosphere in such a way that they are able to fly in the air and remain in it. وَاللَّهُ جَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ بُيُوتِكُمْ سَكَنًا وَجَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِنْ جُلُودِ الْأَنْعَامِ بُيُوتًا Allah has made your houses places of rest for you and made houses for you out of cattle hides such as tents and dome tents. تَسْتَخِفُّونَهَا يَوْمَ ضَعْنِكُمْ وَيَوْمَ إِقَامَتِكُمْ Which are like for you to carry both when you're traveling and when you are staying in one place. وَمِنْ أَصْوَافِهَا وَأَوْبَارِهَا وَأَشْعَارِهَا أَثَاثًا وَمَتَاعًا إِلَى حين. And from the wool, in the case of sheep, and fur, in the case of camels, and hair, in the case of goats, you obtain clothing and carpets, meaning household furnishings, and household utensils for a time, meaning which you use until they wear out. The, in verse number 80, Allah Azza wa says, وَمَتَاعًا إِلَى حين. Things that you use for a time. And he says here, and this is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir, that you continue to use them until they are of no use to you. And the other position as mentioned by Ibn Kathir Ta'ala means, ilahin, the time that is being referred to is your death. That you continue to benefit from these, um, these blessings of Allah until you pass away. And both meanings are correct because from the blessings of Allah are those things that you can only use for a short period of time until they wear out. And others that are longer, like a house, a house usually will stand there and continue to stay there after a person passes away. And so therefore they use, a person uses those blessings because of their nature, that they are more longer and, and, and more withstanding, that they are blessings that a person uses until they pass away. Allah has made shaded places for you in what he has created, meaning houses, trees and clouds, to protect you from the heat of the sun. وَجَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ أَكْنَانًا And he has made shelters. The word for shelters, aknan, is the plural of ken, which means a place where people go for shelter and concealment, such as caves and burrows, for you in the mountains. وَجَعَلَ لَكُمْ سَرَابِيلَ تَفِيكُمُ الْحَرَّ وَسَرَابِيلَ تَفِيكُمْ بَأْسَكُمْ And he has made shirts for you to protect you from the heat and cold, and shirts of mail to protect you from each other's violence in war, from stabbing and blows. كَذَلِكَ يُتِمُّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُسْلِمُونَ In that way, by creating these things, he perfects his blessing on you in this world, since he has created all that you need, so that perhaps, people of Mecca, you will become Muslims and affirm his unity. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغُ الْمُبِينَ But if they turn their backs on Islam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you are only responsible for clear transmission. This was before the command to fight came. يَعْرِفُونَ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ يُنْكِرُونَهَا وَأَكْثَرُهُمُ الْكَافِرُونَ They acknowledge Allah's blessings by admitting that they come from Him, and then deny them by committing shirk. Most of them are unbelievers. وَيَوْمَ نَبْعَثُ مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ شَهِيدًا ثُمَّ لَا يُؤْذَنُ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَلَا هُمْ يُسْتَعْتَبُونَ On, meaning remember the day we raise up a witness from every nation, meaning their prophet, who will testify both for and against them. And that will happen on the day of rising. Those who disbelieved will not be excused, nor will they be able to appease Allah. There will, there will be nothing they can resort to in order to please Allah. When those who did wrong, meaning disbelieved, see the punishment, meaning the fire, it, meaning the punishment, will not be lightened for them. They will be granted no reprieve when they see it. 
وإذا رأى الذين أشركوا شركاءهم قالوا ربنا هؤلاء شركاءنا الذين كنا ندعو من دونك When those who associated others, meaning shaytans and idols, with Allah see those they associated, they will say, Our Lord, these are, these are our partner gods, the ones we called upon and worshipped apart from you. But they will fling their words back in their faces and will say to them, You are truly liars in saying that you worshipped us. And in another ayah, it was not us they were worshipping, meaning they will reject, reject their worship. وَأَلْقَوْا إِلَى اللَّهِ يَوْمَئِذٍ السَّلَمْ On that day, they will offer their submission to Allah and submit to His judgment. وَضَلَّ عَنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا يَفْتَرُونَ And the things they invented, meaning their gods, will abandon them. In verses 86-87, it's what we've been mentioning in the previous verses in terms of the tafsir where we said that those people who worship Allah without knowledge and also what they are worshipping besides Allah have no knowledge of them. And so these people, as Allah Azza wa Jalla says in 86, they will throw back in their faces the shirk that they used to uh, that they used to perform, and they will absolve themselves of them, as Allah Azza wa Jalla says. And that's the verse that Asiyuti says in his commentary in, at the end of 86: "Ma kanu iyana yabudun." They were not worshiping us, O Allah. We never asked them to worship us. We never said to them or claimed any divinity on which basis they should worship them. وَالْقَوْا إِلَى اللَّهِ يَوْمَ إِذِنِ السَّلَمِ In 87, and on that day they will offer their submission to Allah, meaning they will say, now we submit, now we believe, now we accept. And that is the day that Allah Azza wa will then cause their mouths to be sealed. And it is their limbs, their hands and their feet that will attest and bear witness against them as to the evil that they did. On that day, they are now willing to become Muslim. They were willing to submit, but it will be too late for them. الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ زِدْنَاهُمْ عَذَابًا فَوْقَ الْعَذَابِ بِمَا كَانُوا يُفْسِدُونَ As for those who disbelieved and barred people access to the way of Allah, meaning His deen, we will heap punishment on top of their punishment, which they deserve because of their unbelief. Ibn Mas'ud spoke of scorpions with pincers the size of tall, tall palm trees. <coughs> because of the corruption they brought about by barring people from belief. وَيَوْمَ نَبْعَثُ فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ شَهِيدًا عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ شَهِيدًا عَلَى هَؤُلَاءِ On that day, we will raise up among every community a witness against them from among themselves, meaning their Prophet, and bring you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as a witness against them, meaning your people. وَنَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ تِبِيَانًا لِكُلِّ شَهِيدٍ We have sent out the book, meaning the Qur'an, to you, making all things which people need in matters of the Sharia clear. And as guidance, away from misguidance and mercy, and good news of the garden for the Muslims who affirm Allah's oneness. Allah commands justice, meaning affirmation of His unity or fairness, and doing good, performing the obligations imposed by Allah or worshipping Allah as if you are seeing him, as in the hadith, and giving to relatives. Giving to relatives is particularly singled out as important. And he forbids indecency, meaning fornication, and doing what is wrong in legal terms, meaning unbelief and acts of disobedience, and tyranny, doing injustice to people, which is singled out for mention since it is important. He warns you by his command and prohibition so that perhaps you will pay heed and be warned. 
It is reported in Al-Mustadrak that Ibn Mas'ud said, this is the most comprehensive ayah in the Book of Allah regarding good and evil. This verse, verse number 90, is a famous verse. It's the one that we often hear at the end of the Khutbah al-Jumu'ah. As the Imam is making his dua and wrapping up the khutbah, then he reads this verse, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِي And this narration of in the Musladrak of Al-Hakim of Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu is Allah knows best if that is his statement or not. From my very limited research, it seemed like it is a weak narration from him. And Allah knows best. But it is definitely something which uh, the scholars used to use. And it is said that the first person that started the practice of reciting this verse in the Khutbah al-Jumu'ah was the famous Khalifa Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah ta'ala was the Khalifa of the Muslims from the year 99 to 101 of the Hijrah and the reason for that is that once he was traveling in, in, in Damascus or in other parts of, of, of Asham where the capital of the Umayyad dynasty was and he came across in the Jumu'at al-Khutbah Imams who in their Khutbahs would curse Ali radiyallahu because we know the Differences that took place between Ali and Muawiyah radiallahu anhumah. And then Muawiyah, the kingship or the Khilafah settles with him. And it is his descendants who become the rulers of the Umayyad dynasty and the Muslim empire. And so they would often in their khutbahs, not in the time of Umar, from before the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. They would curse Ali radiallahu anhu at the end of the khutbah. So he forbade them from doing so. And he said, instead it is better that you recite this verse. Allah commands you to be just. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah was an amazing scholar of Islam and also considered to be from the great Khulafa of Islam to the extent that Imam Ahmad rahimahullah said that if there was a fifth Khalifa that was rightly guided after the four then it was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah ta'ala. So he forbade them from that evil practice of cursing one of the senior companions of the Prophet and instead he told them to recite this verse indeed Allah commands you with justice and doing good and so on and so forth. Be true to Allah's contract in respect of your sales and oaths and other things when you have agreed to it and they have become binding. And do not break your oaths once they are confirmed and you have made Allah your guarantee, meaning you have sworn by Allah. Allah knows what you do. This is a threat. وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّتِينَ قَابَتْ غَزْلَهَا مِنْ بَعْدِ قُوَّةٍ أَنْكَاثًا Do not be like a woman who spoils the thread. She has spun by unraveling it after it is strong. A foolish woman in Mecca used to spin for the entire day and then unravel her yarn. So do not be like her in respect of your oaths. تَتَّخِذُونَ أَيْمَانَكُمْ دَخَلًا بَيْنَكُمْ By making your oaths as means of deceiving one another. The word dakhalan used here, which literally means ingredient, means what is put into something when it should not be there, to corrupt it or to deceive people. Merely because one community is bigger than another. Do not break an oath you have made just because your nation has greater numbers than another nation. The Arabs used to swear an oath of allegiance to an ally and when they found one more numerous than them and more powerful, they would break their oath to the first one and swear allegiance to the other. Allah is only testing you by this command to keep to your oaths in order to see who will obey and who will disobey. Or it may mean that one nation will be larger than another to see whether they are God-fearing or not. 
You'll make clear to you on the day of rising the things about which you differed in terms of treaties and other things by punishing those who broke their oaths and rewarding those who kept them. In verse number 92, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding the Muslims and the believers to be those people who fulfill their oaths and contracts and promises. And that is why the Prophet وسلم, when he made the hijrah to Medina, he asked Ali radiallahu anhu to stay behind in his place. And one of the reasons for him staying behind was so that he could fulfill the oaths that the Prophet ﷺ had made and fulfill the promises and repay the trusts that he had taken. People that had given the Prophet ﷺ some of their property as a trust that he should safely keep with them or the trust that he had taken from them that he was keeping for his own use that he should return them. And he never had that mindset, these are disbelievers, they're mushrikeen, doesn't matter, unfortunately the way that some people think, because they're living in a non-Muslim country, you can defraud the country, you can do as you please, they're non-Muslim, doesn't care, doesn't matter what happens, they're disbelievers anyway. That's not what we learn, neither from the verse of the Quran, which is a Mecca revelation, nor from the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ was a man who fulfilled his trusts and fulfilled his responsibilities. And there are people who at that time of the migration are not even people who are just being nasty to him or bad to him, they are plotting to assassinate him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you can't get more grave than that. Yet still, the Prophet fulfilled those oaths. And the story that is mentioned here by Asiyuti at the beginning of his commentary of verse 92 is a famous story that is mentioned in the books of Tafsir and Allah knows, but it's not a hadith, nothing that I found a chain of narration for, but a story that they say that this was a woman who would spend a whole day, whole day knitting, and knitting and knitting and then at the end of the day she would show people isn't this amazing what I've produced and they would be like yes that's very impressive and then she wouldn't rub it wrong meaning she would waste her efforts she makes an oath and then she breaks the oath that is the power that is being given of that woman who spends her whole day in hard labor and then at the end of the day when she's achieved something she unravels it all وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَجَعَلَكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً If Allah had willed, he would, he would have made you one community, meaning having a single deen. وَلَكِنْ يُضِلُّ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ But he misguides anyone he wills, and guides anyone he wills. وَلَتُسْأَلُنَّ عَمَّا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ You will be questioned on the day of rising about what you did, and then you will be repaid for it. This is repeated in order to stress it. وَلَا تَتَّخِذُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ دَخَلًا بَيْنَكُمْ فَتَزِلَّ قَدَمٌ بَعْدَ ثُبُوتِهَا Do not make your oaths a means of deceiving one another, or your feet will slip from the path of Islam. After being firmly placed, when you are going straight on it. وَتَذُوقُ السُّوءَ بِمَا صَدَتْتُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ and you will taste evil, meaning punishment for borrowing access to the way of Allah, by not keeping to your oaths or for borrowing other people from the path when it has been established by you. And you will have a terrible punishment in the next world. Do not sell Allah's contract for a paltry price, meaning this world, so that you break it for the sake of this world. What is with Allah, meaning His reward is better for you than what is in this world if you only knew. Meaning if you knew this, you would not break your contract with Him. What is with you in this world runs out and vanishes. But what is with Allah goes on forever. وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْرَهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ 
We will recompense and in which case the meaning becomes those who are steadfast will be recompensed. We will recompense those who are steadfast in fulfilling their contract according to the best of what they did. In verse 96 Allah just says from the reward of these people is that they are rewarded with the best of what they did. Some of the scholars of Tafsir said the best of what they did means that their evil deeds are turned into good deeds. As Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran, Allah forgives them for their evil deeds, then they are changed into good deeds to increase them in the good that they did. And that the position amongst the scholars of Tafsir is that the best of what they did means that when Allah rewards them, He looks at the best of their actions. And then He rewards all of their deeds accordingly. So if the best action a person performed was a single salah, a single dua, a hajj that they made, and the other actions that they performed are good deeds, but they don't reach that level of reward, Allah will reward them with the best of what they did, meaning that every other action that was lower in reward will be raised in terms of its reward, and they will be rewarded according to the best of their deeds, and that is from the grace and the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the believers. من عمل صالحا من ذكر أو أنثى وهو مؤمن فلنحيينه حياة طيبة Anyone who acts rightly, male or female, being a believer, we will give them a good life. It is said that a good life refers to the next world in the garden. And it is also said that it refers to this world and means a life of contentment and plentiful lawful provision. ولنجزينهم أجرهم بأحسن ما كانوا يعملون and we will recompense them according to the best of what they did. In verse 97, Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala in, in his Al-Jawab Al-Kafi and in other works of his has a very good commentary on this verse. When Allah Azza says, for those who act righteously, male or female being a believer, لَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاتًا طَيِّبًا We will give them a good life. The author rahimahullah as is saying that it either refers to the next life, meaning the garden, which is not the apparent meaning of the verse because Allah says to them, He will give them a good life, meaning that this is from the rewards that they will receive in this world, or that it remains, it means in this life in terms of contentment and halal provision. Ibn Qayyim Allah says, No. What is actually being referred to is not just provision in terms of extra blessing and extra food and drink and halal income and so on. Those meanings are secondary. Yes, they're part of it, but that is a secondary meaning. What is the good life that Allah is referring to primarily? is the enjoyment of worshipping Allah and having the enjoyment of, of living a life that is content with what Allah has decreed and turning to Allah and worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal. And he mentions that because it is an important principle in understanding the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah that they understood in the context in which they are revealed. And so when Allah Azza wa Jal says a good life, if it is just more money or a nice house or a nice car, then that is something which many of the disbelievers have as well. So how is that a virtue that the believers receive that is over and above the virtues that others receive? But rather what is being referred to that is a virtue over and above what other people receive is the enjoyment of worshipping Allah and that contentment of the heart that comes from worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal alone. That enjoyment, that blessing, that internal bliss that Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala said indeed there is a Jannah in this world. No one will enter into the Jannah of the next world until they enter into the Jannah of this world. And the jannah of this world is that enjoyment of worshipping Allah, of turning to Allah, of knowing that you are dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And that is why it's reported that some of the scholars of the past used to say 
that if the rulers and the kings knew the bliss that we have within our hearts, they would kill us for it. Because they don't have that despite their wealth and the treasures that Allah has given to them. If they knew the contentment that we feel, they would kill us for it. And there is an important principle to understand. Similar to it is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that speak about the virtues of seeking knowledge. And then we have people that say that that means you know, any knowledge that's beneficial, medicine, engineering and so on. And yes, that may be true, but as a secondary example. The primary example is the knowledge of the Sharia. That is what is being praised. And yes, that if someone seeks a knowledge that is beneficial to others and helps others, they have that reward by learning that and seeking that knowledge. But primarily the virtues of knowledge mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah is knowledge of the Sharia, knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the Quran, knowledge of the Sunnah of the Prophet And that is what Ibn Qayyim is saying here as well. That the life that is good is not just any life, life that is good in terms of worldly materialistic means but it is life that is good in terms of ibadah and in terms of iman and in terms of taqwa فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Whenever you want to recite the Qur'an, seek refuge with Allah from the accursed shaytan. In other words, before you start reciting, say, I seek refuge with Allah from the accursed shaytan. And the scholars um, <coughs> differ, and I did like for QP in Quranic progression when I started, I think we did three or four lessons, one hour lessons just on the isti'adha, just on the importance of a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. The position of the majority of the scholars though, in summary, is that it is not wajib, but that it is recommended. And so it's not something which a person has to do, but it is good for them to do it, and it is from the good etiquettes to have. And one of the reasons, or the proofs that they give is that the Prophet ﷺ would often mention or write in his letters to the other leaders, he would mention Qur'an without saying a'udhu billahi, or writing a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. And likewise, the, in his khutbahs, the Prophet ﷺ would mention Qur'an without making the isti'adha. And in the books of hadith, you often come across uh, verses of the Qur'an, and there's no isti'adha that is mentioned there. And so therefore, it is not an obligation, but it is something which should be done. And especially in terms of if a person is going to sit and read Qur'an, then it is from those etiquettes that a person should observe. فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ When you want to recite the Qur'an, meaning when you intend to begin to recite the Qur'an, some of the scholars of the past held the position that you make the isti'adha after you finish recitation. And that is a weaker position. The position of the majority of the scholars is that you do it at the beginning. إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ لَهُ سُلْطَانٌ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ He, meaning shaytan, has no authority or power over those who believe and put their trust in their Lord. إِنَّمَا سُلْطَانُهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ يَتَوَلَّوْنَهُ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ بِهِ مُشْرِكُونَ He only has authority over those who take him as a friend by obeying him and associate others with Allah. وَإِذَا بَدَّلْنَا آيَةً مَكَانَ آيَةٍ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا يُنَزِّنُ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُفْتَرُ If we replace one ayah with another one by abrogating it and replacing it with another in mankind's best interests, and Allah knows best what he is sending down. They, meaning the unbelievers, say to the Prophet wasallam, You are just inventing this and are lying, making it up. بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ No, indeed, most of them have no knowledge of the, rea- of the reality of the Qur'an and the benefit of abrogation. قُلْ نَزَّلَهُ رُوحُ الْقُدُسِ مِنْ رَبِّكَ بِالْحَقِّ لِيُثَبِّتَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَهُدَهُ وَبُشْرَى لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ Say to them, the purest ruh, meaning Jibreel, has brought it down from your Lord with truth, to make those who believe 
firm in their belief and as guidance and good news for the Muslims. وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّهُمْ يَقُولُونَ إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرٌ We know that they say it is only a human being who is teaching him the Qur'an. The unbelievers said that he was being taught by a Christian slave whom the Prophet ﷺ used to visit. لِسَانُ الَّذِي يُلْحِدُونَ إِلَيْهِ أَعْجَمِي The language of him they allude to is a foreign one. وَهَذَا لِسَانٌ عَرَبِيٌّ مُّبِينٌ Whereas this Qur'an is in clear and lucid Arabic. This uh, narration is mentioned here in verse 103 of the Prophet ﷺ visiting the Christian slave and based upon that the Quraysh said that it is the Christian slave that the Prophet ﷺ takes his revelation or his Qur'an from is an authentic narration mentioned by Imam al-Tabari in his tafsir. And it shows to us the importance of these early collections of tafsir because many of these narrations are not found in the six collections of hadith and sometimes not even found in the other books of the collections of hadith. But the books of tafsir, especially the early collections of tafsir, were a source of gathering the statements of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Because the books of the sunan and the books of the sihah usually focus on the statements of the Prophet But it is the musannafat and the other books of collections of narrations that bring to us the narrations of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een. And this is one example. It is said the Prophet used to, in his days in Mecca, visit many people. And from the people that he would visit was this man who was a Christian slave. So one of the propaganda points of the Quraysh was that he's learning it from this man. He's a Christian, he's a man who has scripture, they believe in scriptures and prophets. And this is where Muhammad is taking that from. And that is one of the things that they said concerning. So Allah says, this is a clear Arabic Quran. If this man is teaching him, he's teaching him from Hebrew, from his language, from the, the language of their scriptures. How does he come with something that is so clear and so eloquent in the Arabic language? As for those who do not believe in Allah's signs, Allah will not guide them and they will have a painful punishment. Those who do not believe in Allah's signs, meaning the Qur'an, saying that it is just the words of a human being, are merely inventing lies. It is they who are the liars. This is repeated for stress. The ayah refutes their words. You are just inventing this. Those who disbelieve in Allah after having believed, except for someone forced to do it, meaning forced to articulate words of unbelief, whose heart remains at rest in its faith, are excused. وَلَكِنْ مَنْ شَرَحَ بِالْكُفْنِ صَدْرًا فَعَلَيْهِمْ غَضَبٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ But as for those whose breasts become dilated with unbelief, anger from Allah will come down on them. This is a severe threat for those who are content and happy about disbelieving. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ They will have a terrible punishment. And from this regard is the hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir رضي الله عنهما in the early days of Mecca, showing that if a person has strong iman in their heart, even if they have to openly say a statement of disbelief because of fear of death, it is something which is permissible. He, Ammar radiallahu anhuma came to uh, the son of Yasser al-Sumiyyah, came to the Prophet sallam, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, I was accosted by some of the Quraysh and they threatened they would kill me unless I openly say words of disbelief, so I said them. The Prophet asked him, and what was in your heart? He said, oh, my heart, O Messenger of Allah, was only Iman, only firm and belief in Allah Azza wa Jal. The Prophet said, in if they do it again to you, then you say the same thing again. 
ذلك بأنه مستحب الحياة الدنيا على الآخرة وأن الله لا يهدي القوم الكافرين That threat is because they prefer the life of this world to the next world and because Allah does not guide unbelieving people. أولئك الذين طبع الله على قلوبهم وسمعهم وأبصارهم Those are the people whose hearts, hearing and sight Allah has sealed up. وأولئك هم الغافلون They are the unaware, heedless of what is desired of them. لا جرم أنهم في الآخرة هم الخاسرون There is no doubt that in the next world they will be the losers because they will go to the fire in which they will remain forever. But to those who emigrated to Medina after they were persecuted, read as Futunu and Futinu and Fatanu. Futinu and Fatanu. Fatanu is the reading of Ibn Amr. After they were tortured and made to articulate words of unbelief. ثُمَّ جَاهَدُوا وَصَبَرُوا إِنَّ رَبَّكَ مِنْ بَعْدِهَا لَغَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ And then did jihad and remain steadfast in obedience after the persecution they had suffered. To them, your Lord is ever forgiving, most merciful. يَوْمَ تَأْتِي كُلُّ نَفْسٍ تُجَادِلُ عَنْ نَفْسِهَا وَتُوَفَّى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَّا عَمِلَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ On that day, meaning the day of rising, every self will come to argue for itself and will not be concerned with anyone else. And every self will be paid in full for what it did. They will not be wronged in any way. وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا قَرْيَةً كَانَتْ آمِنَةً مُطَمَئِنَّةً يَأْتِيهَا رِزْقُهَا رَغَدًا مِنْ كُلِّ مَكَانٍ فَكَثَرَتْ بِأَنْعُمِ اللَّهِ Allah makes an example of a city, meaning Mecca, which was safe from attacks and at peace so that there was no need to move it from due there was no need to move from it due to constriction or fear. Its provision coming to it plentifully from every side. Then it showed in gratitude for Allah's blessing by denying the Prophet ﷺ. So Allah made it wear the robes of hunger by causing it to suffer drought for seven years and fear of expeditions made by the Prophet ﷺ for what it did. And this uh, example that Allah sets forth the parable of this city is the city of Mecca according to the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Kathir al-Qurtubi al-Shaqiti, that Allah Azza wa Jal and others, many of them, they said that it's referring to the city of Mecca. And that is because from the du'as that the Prophet made upon the people of Quraysh, was that Allah give them the years, like the years of Yusuf, meaning the years of drought that we covered in the story of Yusuf, those seven years of drought and famine, or Allah give them the likes in Mecca. And that is what they are being referred to. Allah Azza mentions in Surah Quraysh of the many blessings that they had and the many plentiful provisions that used to come to them. And then they had a time of drought and difficulty and of hunger and fear. A messenger from among them, meaning Muhammad وسلم, came to them, but they denied him. So the punishment, meaning hunger and fear, seized them, and they were wrongdoers. So, believers, eat from what Allah has provided for you, lawful and good. And be thankful for the blessing of Allah, if it is Him you worship. إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَيْتَةَ وَالْدَّمَ وَلَحْمَ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أُهِلَّ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ بِهِ 
He has forbidden you carry on blood, pork, and anything consecrated to other than Allah. فَمَنِ اضْطُرَّ غَيْرَ بَاغٍ وَلَا عَادٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ But if someone is forced to eat it without desiring to or going to excess in it, your Lord is ever forgiving, most merciful. وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَا تَصِفُ أَلْسِنَتُكُمُ الْكَذِبَ هَذَا حَلَالٌ وَهَذَا حَرَامٌ لِتَفْتَرُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ do not say about what your lying tongues describe. This is lawful and this is unlawful. Lying about what Allah has made it unlawful and lawful. Inventing lies against Allah, ascribing that to Him. <inaudible> Those who invent lies against Allah are not, are not successful. <inaudible> they will have a brief enjoyment. <inaudible> then they will have a painful punishment in the next world. وَعَلَى الَّذِينَ هَادُوا حَرَّمْنَا مَا قَصَصْنَا عَلَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلِ We forbade the Jews those things we told you about before in the ayah. We made unlawful for the Jews every animal with an undivided hoof. وَمَا ظَلَمْنَاهُمْ وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ We did not wrong them by forbidding these things. Rather, they wronged themselves by committing acts of disobedience, which makes punishment mandatory for them. ثُمَّ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ لِلَّذِينَ عَمِنُوا السُّوءَ بِجَهَالَةٍ ثُمَّ تَابُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلِكَ وَأَصْلَحُوا إِنَّ رَبَّكَ مِنْ بَعْدِهَا لَغَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ But to those who do evil, meaning shirk and ignorance, and then after that, meaning ignorance, repent and put things right and act rightly. To them, your Lord is ever forgiving, most merciful. إِنَّ إِبْرَاهِيمَ كَانَ Ibrahim was a community in himself, an imam and a model, manifesting every good quality, exemplary, obedient to Allah, a man of pure natural belief. The Arabic word hanif means someone who inclines naturally to the straight deen. He was not one of the idolaters. In verse 120, Allah Taala will now mention at the end of the surah, which is a surah as we said, full of mention of Allah Azzawajal's blessings and how people respond to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Ibrahim alayhi salam because Ibrahim alayhi salam is a prophet that was extremely grateful for Allah's blessings alayhi salam and Allah describes him and says inna Ibrahim kana ummah Ibrahim was an ummah and as we said uh, at the end of Surah Yusuf or in the middle of Surah Yusuf that from the words or the meanings of the word ummah is community or nation like the Ummah of Islam, Kuntum Khaira, Ummatil Ukhrijatlin Nas, as in the verses in Surah Ali Imran. And Ummah can mean a period of time, as in Surah Yusuf, Ummah. He remembered after a period of time had elapsed. And from the word, meanings of the word Ummah is Imam and role model, as a Sayyuti chooses here. So the translator or the translator has chosen the other meaning of the word Ummah. But in this context, the meaning of the word Ummah is, is as Suyuti Rahimahullah Ta'ala says, and Ibn Kathir and others, that the meaning is Ibrahim salam was an Imam and was a role model that you should take. As Allah Azza wa will say in Surah Al-Mumtahina, قَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ فِي إِبْرَاهِيمٌ Indeed, in the example of Ibrahim, there is a good example for you. And so Ibrahim salam is made as an example for the believers in terms of his patience, in terms of his steadfastness, in terms of his gratitude to Allah, in terms as we mentioned yesterday at the end of Surah Ibrahim, the du'as that he makes and the way that he supplicates to Allah Azza wa Jal and the way that he thinks of his family and those around him in his du'as. Shakiran li He was thankful for his blessings. 
Allah chose him and guided him to a straight path. In verse 21, Allah Azza wa focuses on this aspect then of his life. Shakiran li He was a man who was thankful for the blessings of Allah because as we said, this is a surah of blessings. So Allah Azza wa mentions the Prophet and the aspect of his life that is most, most fitting to the context of the surah and the theme that is being mentioned therein. And that is that Ibrahim salam was extremely grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the many blessings that he receives. As we mentioned yesterday at the end of Surah Ibrahim, he says, Alhamdulillahilladhi wahabani ala al-kibari Ismail wa Ishaq. All praises for Allah who upon old age gave me Ismail and Ishaq. Verse 122. This is an example of a change of person from the third person singular to the first person plural. وَآتَيْنَاهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةِ We gave him good, meaning praise, among the people of all religions in this world. وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ لَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And in the next world, he will be one of the righteous, who have the high degrees. ثُمَّ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ أَنِ اتَّبِعْ مِلَّةَ إِبَرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا Then we reveal to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, follow the religion of Ibrahim, a man of pure natural belief. وَمَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ he was not one of the idolaters. This is repeated to refute the claim of the Jews and Christians that they are following the deen of Ibrahim. The Sabbath was only, was only enjoined on those who differed about it. It was made obligatory for the Jews to respect the Sabbath. The Jews differed from their Prophet. They were commanded to, to devote themselves to worship on Friday, but said, we do not want it. They chose Saturday, and it was made hard for them. وَإِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَيَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Your Lord will judge between them on the day of rising regarding the things about which they differed. Meaning the obedient being rewarded and the disobedient being punished for violating the sanctity of the Sabbath. This verse, verse 124, the author mentions here the narration that is the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu in Sahih al-Bukhari. It's an authentic narration. The Prophet said that Allah misguided or allowed the nations who came before us to be led astray from the day of Friday. So the Jewish faith, the Jews, the Jewish community came and they chose the day after Friday, meaning Saturday. And the Christians came and they chose two days after Friday, meaning Sunday. And then we came and Allah guided us to Friday. Because as we know in the other hadith, this is a different hadith, the Prophet said from the virtues of Friday, is that it was the day that Adam was created and the day that he that, that Allah Azza took his soul, the day that he descended from heaven, the day that Yom al Qiyamah will be established from the virtues of Friday. So the, in this hadith, the hadith of Abu Hurairah that the author is referring to in his commentary, the Prophet said that they were not guided to the day of Friday and we were. And then he said, and just as they are behind us in terms of being behind us in terms of the Friday in this world, then they will be behind us on the day of judgment. Meaning that we will be the first, this Ummah, to be accounted on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Whilst everyone else is still waiting, Allah Azza wa will start with this Ummah. Even though we are the last of the nations to come, we will be the first to be held to account on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And then the first to enter into Jannah from the nations after the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Call people, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to the way, meaning the deen of your Lord, with wisdom, meaning the Qur'an, and fair admonition, meaning warning or gentle words. 
and argue with them in the kindest way, with what is better, by calling them to Allah by His signs and citing the proofs of His existence. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ضَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ Your Lord knows best who is misguided from His way. وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُهْتَدِينَ And He knows best who are guided, and He will repay them. This, this, was this, this next part now, this was revealed before the command to fight, is the commentary of the following verse. The commentary of verse 126, and not part of 125. This was revealed before the command to fight. When Hamza was killed and mutilated, and the Prophet wasallam saw him, he, he said, I will mutilate 70 of them in retaliation for you. So the following was revealed. وَإِنْ عَاقَبْتُمْ فَعَاقِبُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا عُوقِبْتُمْ بِهِ If you want to retaliate, retaliate to the same degree as the injury done to you. وَلَئِنْ صَبَرْتُمْ لَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لِلصَّابِرِينَ For if you are patient and do not take revenge, it is better to be patient. Therefore, the Prophet ﷺ refrained and expiated his oath. Al-Bazzar related this. And this is the story that we mentioned before when we were in Surah Al-Imran in the verses that were speaking about the Battle of Uhud. That when the in the Battle of Uhud, after the Battle of Uhud, when a number of the companions were martyred and their bodies were mutilated, the companions became extremely upset. And this is mentioned in the narration of Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, radiyallahu anhu, in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and in the Tirmidhi, that they said, when I mean, they saw the mutilation, because they weren't just killed, these companions, but their bodies were mutilated, like Hamza, radiyallahu anhu, where his body was opened and they took out his liver, they chewed on it and they spat it out. And so they were mutilated. And they said, if we ever have a day that we will overcome them, then we will do to them what they did to us or worse than what they did. And so Allah Azza wa mentions in this verse that that is not the way that a person should be. That you can take revenge, but it should be in line with what was done. And if you forgive, then that is better. Be patient, and that is better for those who forgive. And this reminds me of a statement of Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his book Al-Fawaid, which is an amazing statement that he says that often when we uh, wrong is done to us, we often think that it's because that person has done wrong. But what we find in the Quran and the Sunnah is that often in times of oppression, we should be making tawbah to Allah. Because what the text of the Quran and Sunnah show is that often it is because of our sins that the oppressor, Allah has allowed them to overpower us. And were we people who constantly made tawbah to Allah Azza wa Jal, then Allah would ward off their harm from us. And so in times of difficulty, it is one of the greatest of etiquettes that you constantly make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that you remind yourself that perhaps it's because of your own sins and your shortcomings that that person has done some harm to you. So you turn to Allah azza wa jal and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieves that distress and hardship from you. Be patient, but your patience is only by Allah who gives success in exercising it. وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ Do not be grieved by them, meaning the unbelievers. Do not be grieved by the fact that they do not believe, despite your eagerness for them to do so. وَلَا تَكُ فِي ضَيْقٍ مِمَّا يَمْكُنُونَ And do not be constricted and worried by the plots they hatch. We will help you against them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ Allah is with those who are fearful of Him and on their guard against unbelief and acts of disobedience. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ مُحْسِنُونَ And with those who are good doers, by observing obedience and patience, and He gives them help and victory. In this last verse, verse 128, Allah says, Allah is with those who have taqwa of Him and those who do good. And this is a specific 
uh, type of Allah being with those people. Because Allah Azza wa elsewhere in the Quran mentions that He is with. If there are three of you, then Allah is the fourth with you. And if there are five, then Allah is the sixth with you. And so Allah Azza wa is with people in two ways. The first is general. And that is that Allah is with everyone in terms of His knowledge. He sees them all, He hears them all, He knows everything that they do. But then Allah is with certain people in a specific way. And that is through, as the author here, Rahimallah, mentions, by his help and his aid and his victory. And that is specific to the believers. That Allah gives them and is with them with his divine care and protection, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is from the favors and the blessings that Allah gives to those people who have taqwa and those people who turn to him of, with sincere faith. And with that we come to the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Nahl and the end of today's session. بارك الله فيكم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.